Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. All right, all right, all right, Evan. <laughs> yeah! That is the sound of a hundred podcasts. I wasn't ready. This is our hundred. terrified. <laughs> and you can hear there's, uh, there's more laughter than just the two of us. And if you've listened to all of our podcasts, yeah. then you might recognize some of these voices. Uh, we have our, the first guest we ever had on the podcast. I believe you were on episode seven. Mm-hmm. We have Kat Karpoff, the creative coach, guru extraordinaire, and quite the creative herself. I mean, I think you would have to be in order to coach people through it. Yeah. And help them get their shit done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. And then we got this other guy. And then we got this other guy <laughs> who came off on the street. Yeah. <laughs> Episode twenty four, I nice. believe it was. Was it? Or is it twenty three? I want to say it was twenty four. I've got twenty four in my head. Yeah. Maybe well, that's just because of Kiefer. In this episode was the nature of storytelling, <laughs> because he's an author. Tries. Yeah, he tries to be. He writes a lot of words, and uh, he's published. He's got I don't know how many books are published now. Uh, the 8th comes out on March 15th. Yeah, so he's only got 8 books published. Not a big deal or anything. <laughs> His name is Owen Lachanen. Right. Or La- or what's the correct pronunciation <laughs> of it? How do you like to say it? Uh, Lachanen. <laughs> is how... Lock it Lachanen. Down. Yeah, but I you like know... Say, I just like to call you Lock It Down. You've never called me Lock I It know. Down. I <laughs> know. You can start. Just privately. Right. Owen Lachanen. So I'm not around. Yeah. How do you say it again? Laukinen. Laukinen. Yeah. Oh, you let me say it wrong last time. I let everyone say it wrong because yeah. I don't like having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a hundredth, so we're gonna have all the conversations. Yeah. <laughs> For the next hundred minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Usually we go ninety, but today it's hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we have, uh, we have a beer, which we're going to introduce eventually. Are we allowed to drink the beer? Yeah, you can have some. Yeah, yeah, yeah drink away. Boom. Enjoy the beer. It's a real dark one. It is dark. Um, and we also have champagne. Um, so yeah, whoever poured it can pour us all some and we can have a little <laughs> taste of that. <laughs> do you want me Just to, there. do you want, yeah. To start yeah, this we'll all pour it. Our guests, um, you know, help set up and pour, <laughs> pour drinks uh, we're more than happy that's, to. That's how we do it Just around here. When, it, when it's your second yes. podcast, it's really sweet. You're yeah. basically a part of the family now. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> you, you know the first time like you're on. Just to have the cheers. The first time yeah. you're on, we'll do everything for you. But yeah. on the second one, you know, it's just like who you gives a shit? Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. then we're fucked. <laughs> I think the one that it's really sort sweet. Of, I think the one that sort of changed that was literally the episode of um, Art is Best when you just don't give a fuck. Yeah, with Teresa Riley, where we basically dropped more f bombs in the first like five minutes of that than we had leading up to it that Teresa the entire time. Isn't a badass. Yeah, she's a badass. I met her maybe once. It's for like at that party. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, you met her at the the movie maker party. Yeah, at your party. Oh, nice. Yeah. My party. Your party. <laughs> You're bringing people together. Yeah, yeah. that's what I do. Yep. Um, Not you though. 
No, no. <laughs> Go wait in the car. <laughs> yeah, I'm just you sure just you rejected me. Yeah. You're like, I have to write. I'm writing books. On the street. Yeah. That's true. Published <laughs> author. That's probably cuddling with my dog. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh. Yeah. So, anyway, let's recap awesome. what you guys talked about in your episodes, and then we'll, Evan and I can bring up some topics from some other episodes that we really found that were impactful for us. <laughs> yeah. And we can just mishmash this whole stew of artistry and industry together. Yeah. The With like <laughs> lessons learned and things that have changed since like we, uh, we all recorded our episodes together and, oh, yeah. and I'm sure a lot has changed. You know, in, in basically what happened in 2016. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> when did you record? Are we allowed to... Like March, maybe? Yours was actually in, uh, I think it was either January or February. Yeah, was yours it? was pretty oh, early so in the year. Last year. year yeah. um, and yours was on theme. I remember that. Yeah. Because yeah. we discovered it as the conversation happened. Yeah. Yeah. In fact... And it was called The Discovery of Theme. With Kat with Carpaugh. Carpaugh. Wow. So, um, so Kat, Roberts. tell us, um, has what's been the theme? That's <laughs> been the theme of it's your last the theme year. Because that's year. not like that's not super ambiguous. <laughs> yeah, I feel like actually last year, if I if I start thinking about it right now, is which is what I'm doing, because um, I'm like oh, I haven't thought about that at all. But that's a great question. Because last year, I feel like I feel like what I really learned last year, um, especially if, I don't know if it has anything to do with theme, but it probably does. Um, I guess would be how to how to truly uh, let shit go. Like how to truly drop any kind of outcome with your art or any kind of outcome with anything. I'm still working on it because we all have these like massive goals and these things that we really want to achieve. But how do you do it from a place of I think this is what I've been exploring is how do you do it from a place of really just really loving the art mm. and coming mm. back to that because so many of us right we get into these things and now we're in our older life and it's just like we want to make a fucking living from this we want to yeah. make a living want to make a living so bad mm-hmm. and it just like kills us because it's the hardest thing to make a living from but when you can drop it you kind of start making a living mm. when you kind of just like learn how to put your things into the world and just go fine let's see what happens and if nothing happens fine and then something happens you're like cool how do i not take super attachment to that too right from anything big happening or small happening um so that you can just live um an anxiety free (laughs) (laughs) a less anxious life and then i think that's so i got really calm i think last year Mm -hmm. like more calm than i've ever been which is nice teach me <laughs> <laughs> since since that time when we did that podcast my my model has just been throw enough shit at the wall and something's gonna stick <laughs> yeah and then things just start sticking yeah and you know someone actually asked me because um, when we did ours on writing someone asked me like how do you write so much how do you do this because now I just hit the other day yesterday I hit 1650 days in a row of writing never missed a day and I just told him, I'm like, I basically just write enough shitty stuff that eventually something's good. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's yeah. how you do but it. it. But you really got to do it that way because if you, if, and, and Kat said something to me over the summer in, in August, she said, you know, you can do it. It doesn't even have to be good. <laughs> it's, like, it's true though. I mean, it's like, and it, once you kind of have that mentality, it, all the pressure is just off of so many things. You know? Well, you stop yeah. making it so damn precious. Yeah. Yes. You know, like yeah. it becomes 
because yeah, we turn our creations into like these beasts, yeah. you know, like mm. into these absolute monsters that end up just like trampling all over like our dreams and like actually doing the things that we love to do. Yeah. Well, and one of the things, and, and just to throw back to one of our previous or a few of our previous podcasts, uh, we, we kept coming back to this point is it's not about good, like better or worse. It's about more truthful. Yes. And we keep coming mm. back to that. And I think that's the thing is like, when you get rid of the whole idea of like, it needs to be good or it's bad or it's better, it's worse. And you just go, is it truthful or is it not truthful? It, it just changes everything, you know? Well, sure. I mean, I think yeah. one of the things too, is that especially with these things that we're all passionate about doing and like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, writing and acting and filmmaking and you know, like whatever our vocations are, we're passionate about it. We automatically the way that we're going about it is like, yeah, we want it to be good. Like we've applied ourselves in a way to try and make it good. But the sort of this, um, I don't know, this, this intellectual attachment to it maybe, or this of like, I've got to make this good. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you don't really necessarily know how to do that other Mm -hmm. than your, just your attention and your devotion to it. But like the, subjective outcome of whatever it will be. Yeah. Like that's something that we have absolutely no control over, if that makes sense. And I think that something, I like that you said like throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. I think the point is to throw shit at the wall. (laughs) (laughs) So many many people just don't even do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and another thing is it doesn't have to be good. And, And it's because when we start doing something in the thought process of I want something to be so good all of a sudden our perfectionist shows up Mm -hmm. and it's like, it doesn't have to be good. It has to be great. It has to be perfect. It has to be amazing. And then nothing ever gets released and there's no shit on the wall. It always (laughs) has to get to another level. Like, I mean, good when I was younger was a certain quality and and now good where I'm at now is a certain quality. And it's just the bar always raises, but it's like impossible to jump it at a certain point, you know? And, Mm. and I think also like, you know, why do I even like, when I think about myself, when I, when I create something is like, why do I need to make it good? Like for what reason, you know, there's this thing mm. is like, do I need to impress everybody with what I'm doing or is like, but I think like good needs to come from a more authentic place of like, it's, it's good to like, what I found is it's good to me because I actually feel like I fe- tapped into some type of emotional thing, something that's real for me. You know, like I've written scenes where I've been writing and I'm literally like, I don't know if you guys ever had this experience, but you're like crying as you're writing because it's so emotional and you're like, I don't even know how these words are coming through me right now. Yeah. But like, and, and I'm like, that is good. I don't know if like anyone will like it. And, you just, <laughs> and for me, it's like in those yeah. moments, I felt a degree of detachment from it. Right. Like, you know, we've talked about before where it's just like, it feels like, you know, you're just sort of being a, you know, you're just sort of putting your, your fingers on, on the keys, right? Like you're, you're just, you're just kind of playing the music that's kind of like coming through you, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And it's like, it's like not really me being like, yeah, look at how amazing I am that I'm (laughs) writing this. I'm just like, whoa, this is incredible. (laughs) I can't believe this is happening. Right. You know what I I love about doing that for me is like when I'm doing that, it just makes me get through 
doing this with an attachment to finishing it. And then oftentimes if I'm doing that like cry writing, I'm like, oh, it's so emotional. I can't believe it. Like, oh. And then I read back at it when I go into my editing process. I'm like, this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it was so emotional for me at the time. And now it's just like, okay, this is where the actual work comes in. I'm going to make this a lot better. Well, this man. is a bunch of sentimental <laughs> Which bullshit. Is- yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's fine, though. Like, yeah. I-, I taught a course this fall at the Surrey Writers Conference, and I called it Don't Be Afraid to Suck. And it was exactly that. So that's you, awesome. Uh, awesome. You spend so much time thinking, like, I gotta write, uh, especially at first draft, I gotta write a first draft that's, you know, amazing or that's of, like, producible or publishable quality. Yeah. And you, you know, you work on the first 10 pages or the first act forever. Uh, and then you lose, you fall in love with it and you don't, you don't finish the second and third act and you don't yeah. finish a book. And for me, like, the only way I've been able to write is writing shitty first drafts and then going back and, like, editing the shit out of them. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. how I, I tell people to do that, too, is you have to write until it's done. For me, it's it's you have to write it until it's done and do not look back because yeah. then you'll get into your head of, like, oh, this word or this thing or I'm terrible or look at this. And I, it's, I'm like, don't even read it because I think it was you that told me this was, um, like, a, a half finished project is worth nothing but yeah. even a shitty finished project is worth something yeah and so that that i tell everybody because i'm <clears> like it's so true it is it's like what you're saying yeah it really like is it. true and the other thing too is like you were saying like i'll have these cathartic writing sessions where i'm writing and i'm crying and you're like oh it's so emotional and then you read it back and you're like this sucks and then you'll have <laughs> this other one where you'll be writing and you're like i feel nothing and then you write it <laughs> yeah. and you look back and you're like what is this genius? Yeah. <laughs> Where did it come from? Because you're like, because sometimes I think when it's cathartic, it's sometimes like something where you're, you, you understand you're emotional. Whereas when you don't even realize you're emotional, but you actually are. Yeah. And sometimes you do something kind of really well, even though it seems like shit, well, the yeah. moment you're doing it. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. because you're just you're like, judging it. Yeah, you're like, you're so, but sometimes you're so let go and like, you're just like, you've, you've, when you're in that state of it's all shit and nothing's happening you, and you almost have a sense of just like throwing it away and there's less you trying to make it something mm. right and and actually mm-hmm. just kind of maybe because maybe it's in those moments you actually communicate something that's somewhat truthful mm-hmm. like um uh both Kat and I uh studied with Larry Silverberg an uh, acting Meisner teacher and he told the story about this great um about this great, uh, ballet dancer who would exhaust himself before going out on stage. Oh, wow. He would like, just like, he would just wear himself out to the, to the core and then he would step out and perform for an audience and he'd be amazing. Wow. And his whole thing is he was, when people asked him like, why the hell do you do this? He said, I need to leave myself with nothing left to hang on to. Hmm. So it's like he just had to remove himself from the equation sure. of doing it, right? So he was just like at a complete point of just like I've got nothing left, yeah. <laughs> and he would dance brilliantly, right? Ballsy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> I mean, obviously he'd been practiced and practiced yeah. so yeah. well that he could do something like that, right? Where it's just like that. The movements were probably just like in his his being a reflex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was about taking sort of the ego out of it sure. for him. Totally. Well, and you know, and I think, um, you know, I think this whole thing about saving yourself, you know, is it, it, it almost works backwards in just about everything. When I was training for soccer, I remember we did tryouts and, you know, um, 
trying out for some of the best teams, at least in, in, in our province. And, um, you know, I had this one coach who I played for, for, I think a couple of years and his whole model was he would run the shit out of us for the whole beginning of tryouts. Like we would be doing sprints and endurance running and just all these exercises that just kill you. And you're like gasping for air. And then he'd be like, okay, now I want to see you guys scrimmage. And we'd scrimmage and, and everybody would be tired. And he's like, I want to see. How, and, and he told me later, he said, I wanted to see how you guys would perform when you had nothing left. He's like, I don't really care when you guys show up here and you're like all primed and, and everything. He's like, I want to see what you, what kind of will you have when you have nothing left. Cause that's, what's going to make a difference. And he played for the premier league, like in uh, you know, like, yeah. um, top level, uh, soccer in England. Right. So he had that mentality and I think it was some of the best coaching I ever had, which I think is, is it's really true. I mean, there's this whole thing about like, it's so easy. Like, it's just so easy to, um, have confidence and, 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 and act like hot shit when you you're booking the roles and you're getting the jobs and you're making the money. But what really I think matters for us as artists is what's it like when you're like, I can't pay fucking rent. I have to give up my phone. I'm like, I don't know. Like my agent can't even call me. I have to go to like a fucking, I'm selling the furniture in my house. (laughs) And then like, and then you're going to find out, then you're going to find out what you're really made of. Right. And if you hang in through that, you know, which I basically did, which is, I think the turning point for me as, as a filmmaker was, I was like, I have to sell shit off. I have to figure out what I'm going to do. And then to, to hang in there, I realized at that moment, I was like, it was kind of like life fucking sucks. Everything sucks. And then I was like, I had this moment. I remember where I'm like, but you're still doing it. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. (laughs) You know what I mean? But but it's like, it kind of reminded me of those lessons. I think that, that ballet thing you're talking about and this, the soccer experience I had, it was, it was a lot like that. Yeah. It's interesting how some, not all artists, but I think that most artists who do quite well in our industry or even just have some success have to do the starving artist thing. They have to play into that to, to know it's bullshit, mm. to know that you don't actually have to go there. It's just actually your mentality, your mindset, and how you do things that makes you a, like an art, a, a working artist or a starving artist. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I've got lots of thoughts on that kind of stuff. But even, you know, it's just an interesting. Well, I think also like starving artists is kind of, it's kind of bullshit too. I mean, like when right. I look back and I go, I didn't really need to get to that place. Like mm-hmm. it didn't have to go there. Like, but it was my own it was my own ego and my own shit that got me there. But the thing is, is it, and I don't think people should go there. I don't think like as an artist, you should be like, Oh, I need to suffer. Like we just had one that came out about that. Oh yeah. You know, like the you don't need to suffer yeah. for your art. Yeah. You yeah. don't need to suffer for your art. But for me, I think for me, it was a little bit like, um, you know, whatever. I got myself to that point, but I had an awareness. I think if you can just learn that other people can say, yeah, like, you know, don't, my, my point is, is you don't have to get to like this terrible place. You just have to be like willing to show up when things aren't easy. That's basically all I'm saying. Like, it's not, it's not about anything more. I think you have to be hungry. Yeah. I think whether you're literally hungry or whether you're just like motivated to get out and make art. Right. Um, like for me, I quit my job and that's what it took. Mm. Uh, it was like looking at my bank balance drop day after day and knowing that when it got to zero I'd have to get another job so I'd better write as much shit as I could throw it at the wall and hope that something stuck before Mm. you know I hit zero and I think like you know I wasn't starving I was eating fine but but 
you need that motivation. And I think when you lose that motivation, you become complacent and your art suffers. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. I mean, and, and one thing too, I'm hearing when you say that, like you created a deadline that was real, mm. you know, cause like Evan and I are uh, working on getting our film off, off the ground and it's like, you know, you have the deadlines, but until the deadlines become real and you see the consequences, feel the consequences of it, yeah. you're not going to follow through. And and you had a deadline, which is once I, like, maybe it wasn't specifically set as a date, but you had an idea probably like at this rate, the amount I'm spending, I'll be out of money by this point. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay, every day I got to write and I got to do this thing. Yeah. And like, you know, you, you gave it some weight, you know? And I think that's a, that's an important part of like, what we need to do. We need to kind of give things a little bit of weight and, and also not wait to be somewhere like, it's like, once I get here, then it'll be easy. It's like, no, (laughs) it just is going to get probably harder (laughs) first. You know, it's not going to necessarily get easier. I think like, you know, like a lot of filmmakers say, if only I had this money, it's like, more money, more problems, honestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks, there's Biggie. Lot, there's lots of... There's lots of... But there's lots of millionaires that go bankrupt, right? There's lots yeah. of millionaires that, that, that are spending that money as fast as it comes in so that if they didn't have another job around the corner, they'd have nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why something like 80% of lottery winners go bankrupt in five years. Like, there's, there's a thing where you have to be ready for that kind of responsibility. Mm-hmm. You have to understand how to do that properly. Um, that's just with money, which means that like, because it's all an illusion, like, you know, it's well, all, it's yeah, all money is an illusion. Yeah. Money's in your, in your mind. I mean, that's the, you know, you'll spend, you'll spend more money. You know, if you, if you have more money, you'll just find a way to spend more money. Totally. I mean, that's really what people do. And, and it's like, uh, it's almost like your brain has a, like when people's relationship to money is like your brain has a percentage of what it'll spend. So if you give someone a hundred dollars and they are used to spending a hundred percent, they'll spend a hundred dollars. If you give them a thousand, because they're used to spending a hundred percent, they'll spend a thousand. You give them a million. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But, But they say that like, if you took all the money from a wealthy person, all the wealthy people, and you gave it to all the poor people, it would just reverse in the, in like about five or 10 years anyway, because uh, wealthy people take a certain percentage of their money and they just save it. So you could give them $10 and they'll always save a dollar no matter what. But a, a poor person will always spend all 10 mm-hmm. and that's the difference. And it's just the math equation. It only takes a certain amount of time for the whole spectrum to reverse. <laughs> so really money is more in our head than it actually is in our hand. And once we realize that we can totally change our relationship to everything. Yeah. And artists need that more than ever. Cause we're feast or famine. We're not like regular paychecks. As right. I think all of us know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, um, okay. The great you want, you want something? Sweater. I need uh, this sweater. I forgot about it before. Um, well, I was thinking in my head, I need to grab this before. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you. You're yeah. We got to keep our guests warm. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So Owen, tell us, tell us, uh, what's happened since yours. So we went through the nature of storytelling. Um, we didn't say your name properly and no one does. <laughs> no one you, does. you, you, you left saying that was great and you had a really good time. Um, so what'd you do with that? What, what went on in your life post storytelling? Um, after we changed your life yeah. on this podcast, yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, 75, 77 episodes later. Yeah. You wrote eight books and uh, published them. <laughs> How many books good. did you have published at the time? Yeah, yeah. When did we When did we do it? It was well, like, we did it. May? I would say it was spring. May. Yeah, yeah, it was, in the it was May. It was, it was March or May. It was May, probably. 
Probably May. One yeah. of the M months. March or May? It was March. Let's I think it was April. Warm. Let's say April. Let's say April. Put it down the middle. Um, well, it's funny, like, what Kat was talking about, the theme of last year. Like, for me, uh, around that time, I, like, my career went in a different direction. Uh, like, I've been working on this series. I have six books in a series about an FBI agent and a state policeman. And... Uh, in April or May, I learned that that would be the end of the series. Was the book that's coming out this year would be the, the last book in the series, and I hadn't really written it uh, with that in mind. It was just that's you know that's how the publisher wanted to do it. So for six years, I've been supporting myself with this FBI agent, and uh, and so I had to kind of figure out where to go from there mm-hmm. and where to what I was going to do now that this the bread and butter of my career had been you know kind of reached its end and I found it quite challenging actually like I I think when you turn your creative you know your creative outlet into your your rent check like I think you can lose something and so last year I spent a lot of time uh I I got into photography because like I'm not going to make a living as a photographer I'm not going to you know, it's just a hobby. I go into the woods and take pictures of trains, which, like, nobody gives a shit about <laughs> a train. But, like, for me, it's fun to go hike in the woods and, like, you know, take a picture. And and it's just create creativity for the, for the you know, purely creative side of things. And uh, so for a while last year, I was, like, I was wondering where I was going to go and what I was going to do and if I was going to continue to write. Like, I have a, a project that, uh, I'm under contract for, but it's, uh, you know, who knows what will happen. And, and I, I kind of had lost the, like, I felt like I'd made it to the big leagues. And now I was kind of getting sent down to the minors and I didn't know if I would make it back up again. Mm. And I didn't know if I wanted to put it in the work. Uh, and it was just recently that, like, I I got back into, like, I'm working on something now that I'm just doing because I like it. I'm writing uh because I want to, like, I walk my dog and I'm, like, thinking about what I want to write. And, like, I had lost that for a while. And and now that there's no pressure on it and there's nothing, now that it's just a creative thing and I have no expectations, it's, you know, I'm back. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, uh, last year was a similar thing for me. Um, and, and I talked a lot with Evan about it. I got hired for all these writing jobs. I think I talked to you a lot too, Kat. But I got re- hired for all these writing jobs and I wasn't writing so much because I wanted to write the story mm-hmm. I was writing because I was getting paid to write stories. And it really does change your relationship to <laughs> what this thing is you're doing, you know? And now, um, you know, I went, I'm, I'm writing other stuff. I'm writing a Lego movie. <laughs> like, yes. Stop motion a, Lego. A stop motion Lego feature. And it all kind of came out actually because of my pocket live, uh, crew. And I was telling them about how, when I was you know, actually, I think even before I became a filmmaker and I used to just make stop motion movies because I thought they were hilarious. <laughs> and I was like, little Lego characters were so funny, but they were just like basic. And Lego's improved a lot since then. It's still really the same stuff, but you know, it's just the technology of it has gotten better. And I was like, yeah, you know, it'd be cool to do a stop motion. And someone's like, you should do a stop motion. <laughs> and I was like, I should do a stop motion, you know? And then I, and then I made, a, I showed up in my little test video and stuff. And I was like, this is so much fun. Like, this is why I got into this, you know? Yeah. And so it's weird because I'll work all day and then I'll do a little bit of work on this mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like work at all because I'm doing it cause I want to do it. 
And I think that's a really important thing. You know, you, you've always like, even in your last uh, podcast, Owen, you brought a, a lot of really good insight into what it is to be a paid professional artist mm-hmm. and also the, the effects that can have on you as like our imagination as what we, when, before we've made it. Cause I think like, we all feel like, Oh, if I just start getting paid to act or I get paid to make mm-hmm. films or I get paid to write scripts or whatever it is, everything will be good. But it's weird. Cause once you start getting paid and then maybe you don't have your day job anymore, um, and you get paid and that's how you get money. It changes this. It's a weird, it changes the relationship to your art. It's you yeah. Know. It, I mean, it really does. It, I think it's glorious to be a, to get paid for your art. And it's, I, yeah. I wouldn't trade it, but like, it is weird to be, to be sitting down and doing something that you, you're passionate about and they, that, you know, is your creative outlet, which as creative people, you know, that's, it's how we live. Yeah. It's what we need to live. And, and knowing that you're going to put it out there, uh, you're either going to make rent next year or you're not going to make rent next year based on the quality of what you're doing. It can get into your head. Uh, when did you come back? Like, so you said when you were on the podcast in May, um, mm-hmm. that was sort of when you realized that this last book was going to be released this year, and that's the blast of the series that has been making your rent for six years. So how long between, like, that time of that realization did it happen where you started dabbling in other creative endeavors and then feel like, oh, wow, like, writing is seeping its way back into my life? Um, I mean... I guess I took the summer, like, like around the same time as I did the podcast, I like, I bought, I blew my tax return on like an expensive camera and like a bunch of lenses and stuff. And I I just got really into that all summer. Yeah. And then, uh, I guess in the fall, like I went to a a conference and I hung out with my agent and some friends and, and I felt like these are my people, like these, you know, these writers, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I had a really productive time with my agent and came back with some ideas and, uh, but I think like I have this, this this project that I'm contracted for is is something that I wrote like three years ago, mm-hmm. and that uh, my agent got my publisher to nibble on uh, last year when the series ended. And so like I think part of the like creative blockage has been going back and trying to deal with this thing that I wrote three years ago that I'm like not really like I feel like I have to get this out of the mm-hmm. way before I can be creative again. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like there's stuff that I want to write, but my like you know, my time is, was taken up with, with working on this thing, which I like, but it's, you know, it's three years old. I want to move on. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, it's funny, like you say, like now I, I work, I, you know, spend my day working on this project and then, uh, take my dog for a walk, think about this other thing that I'm working on and come home and it's not, it's like, it's not work. I write a couple chapters of it and I feel like, yeah, you know, it keeps me up at night, which is how it was when I, was writing my first book and I didn't have a deal, didn't have an agent. I I don't know if you've ever read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's like you should totally read it. Yeah. It's totally like my Bible. But it's it's the way that she describes something like that is like you worked on this book three years ago and inspiration was playing with you and it was there and it was alive and it was mm-hmm. like that passion was running through you. But if you don't say yes to it in a timely manner, it leaves. Yeah. And so now you're working on maybe not a lifeless book, but you're trying to, to poke life into this thing but a new creation has yeah, come through yeah. and it's like this is what's kind of passionate and driving you and this is like what's keeping your interest and and that's why it's so easy and it just does it flows right through you like it really does i was writing last night 
And it's funny because I had Christine Bissonette on my on my show Vancouver Has Talent on nice. Monday. That's awesome. And I and uh, yesterday I was moved to write a poem, right? And nice. I was like, That's oh, great. sweet. <laughs> nice. She's just getting around, oh, getting everyone like, to write poetry. You know, yeah, like, Brad wrote some poetry. After I know. She came I told really? her, and yeah. she knew because that you said that on your pod on the podcast, and yeah. so we heard that. And I just was like, oh, it's so interesting. I haven't written poetry in forever and poetry is so you know i think that it's introduced to our culture especially here in canada um as like robert frost or like that stuff about that that totally stereotypical uh poem about being a guy Hmm. right my dad did this and you know we all remember it sort of it a little bit but it's very non-contemporary it's very like it needs to be in this structure it needs to do this thing and then you listen to like christine's poems and you're like this is alive holy this is shooting through me like something i've never experienced before so it was fun it just and then yeah i just had it a had an intense night last night so i just was like oh i was writing this thing and it felt weird I loved it because it was like, it felt like, like, yeah, my hands weren't mine and that they were just heavy on the like things and they were just moving through this thing as I'm just cry, cry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, with poetry, that's probably a good, a good way to be doing it. Yeah, 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 totally. And then I I wrote some, some journal. It was really, it was fun because one of my creative vocations is writing, but I, I don't do it for necessarily a living. Um, and so it's something that, that can, my ego can take me away from very easily. Sure. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you focus on here. Like, you know, create a meme for your fucking Facebook. <laughs> and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> you know, like, it's interesting how like we, we want to make money from these things we love. And I think you really, as an, as an artist, you got to be honest about how much you really want to do that because I mean for a while I was an editor I mean I used to edit all the time that was one of the jobs that I did I don't really even edit anymore but um, and I was editing people's demo reels and stuff like that for acting and whatnot and it was really I loved connecting with the actors I loved talking about it and I loved helping them but editing stuff and then people like were getting nitpicky about things and, and I was it was never a vision when I was editing their um, reels. Like every once in a while, someone would come along where there's maybe some type of vision we could maybe create with it. But like they wanted to keep everything. I'm like, you need to make this like a minute, a minute and a half. No one has context for your acting. They just want to see that you can actually do it. You know, like it's stop jerking yourself off. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. They want like a seven, a seven seven minute demo reel. And you're like, that's my editing process. And and you're having, you, you know, you're having this conversation with someone and you're like, Look, no one's going to watch your demo reel for seven minutes. They just aren't like, because like we'll watch, we'll watch a story for seven minutes, but we're not going to watch a bunch of random scenes strung together of you. Like, it's just not, not, there's nothing in it for us at a certain point. Yeah. There's nothing in it anymore. Right. Honestly, in context, I won't even watch a whole scene for a minute. Yeah, it's like basically like a minute, a minute and a half, I figure, you got for a demo reel. Yeah, for a demo, for a couple or a few different scenes. But some people run their, like, this really long, out-of-context scene, and, like, in those seven-minute demo reels, and I'm just like, I've lost interest in 20 seconds, and and, and I'm interested. So take somebody who's sitting behind the desk looking at this... Who's they're yeah. way less interested than I am. Yeah. <laughs> like I, you know, like and it's so interesting how I, how how people do that. I always tell people one to two minutes max. Well, you have to. I think that one of the things that makes a, a 
successful creative person is setting the ego aside and being willing to like, you know, if you come in with a seven minute demo reel and someone says, you got to cut, you got to cut all but 45 seconds of this. Yeah. You got to be able to see that. Like that, that was one of the most valuable lessons I ever learned was, uh, you know, I had my favorite writer happened to be a teacher at the university I was, I was at and I took his creative writing course and the first time I gave him a story, he just ripped it apart and gave me a D on it. And, uh, like, you know, as a, as a creative person, yeah. you're not used to, like, someone telling you outright that you failed or that you sucked. Like, especially mm-hmm. if you're in an educational <laughs> environment, people people are tending to be like, oh, you made art. Yeah. <laughs> you made art. It's yeah. so wonderful. And this guy was like, here's your D. <laughs> here's your D. Um, yeah. But uh, that's what I've tried to do, like is channel that guy whenever I edit, like channel the, like, you know, as if, as if my worst enemy created this thing, I'm going to, I'm going to edit it and, and, and then just be as harsh as, as he was. Interesting. That's yeah. really interesting. Uh, again, I will reference Elizabeth Gilbert and I do it all the time, but that was <laughs> one of her biggest lessons Yeah. because she, I think she wrote a piece for Esquire or something like that. And the editor at the time really loved it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then someone dropped out, a, a contributor, like a, an advertiser dropped out, and they said, you have to cut 30% of this story. I'm so sorry. Or you can hold on to it, but we don't know what's going to happen by the time it gets edited. In fact, our editor might not even be here. Mm-hmm. And and she was like, okay. And so she just was like, okay, I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to cut 30% of the story. She's like, it was it was so scary, and it, it changed the whole entire thing, but it changed it for the better. Sure. And then she got in, and that was actually her big break. And, really? And, like, a couple months after or a month after or something, the editor actually did end up leaving. Wow. And so she, and the editor, that specific editor, just in, liked the context of the story. Mm-hmm. So it might not, not have ever been published. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that was her big break. So that's a really cool lesson that yeah, you yeah, learned yeah. that, too. That's yeah. awesome. I had to do that for uh, The Burning Blues. They, I handed <sighs> in my script. They were like, we're going to put up over half a mil. And they were like, we want... Uh, but it was at a hundred, it was almost 150 pages. They were like, we want this down. We're not even going to look at it again until it's 110. Whew. I had to cut 40 wow. pages. Yeah. 39. Well, you know, I, it's interesting. I had to cut, I had to cut over that. It was like, they wouldn't even. And even yeah. that in the film and television industry is generous these days. Most scripts have to come in at about 96 pages. Totally. Yeah. I yeah. actually like recently, like, which is way- a, a minute per page. Yeah. 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 Come. So it's like, because they make these things. And now you'll see they they used to make like an hour fifteen minute movies yeah and and then they went to the you know and then you know Quentin Tarantino came in and things and you were watching or Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings and you're like all right two three hour movies yeah but now you can see it just completely reverting back sure like we're making an hour and fifteen minute movies unless you're Quentin Tarantino right right, right? Yes. <laughs> because you know if you're if you're Tarantino or you're Scorsese or someone like that I mean you can because you have that type of Paul, you know, James Cameron doesn't matter, right? Because you have the audience. Yeah, you have and the you've audience. also yeah. shown your ability to create, like, if you talk about someone like Scorsese, I mean, yeah. Wolf <laughs> of Wall Street was like three and a half hours, yeah. and that movie feels like it just breezes right by. Right. You know, he's yeah. shown his ability to execute a film of that length in a way that is, like, continues to be engaging, but for somebody who's, like, you know, just like an up and comer. It's like, you haven't necessarily proven your ability to do something like that. Right, totally. Or at least not. It's like, nobody's going to front their own cash 
for you to try it out. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to front your own cash to try, to try and do it, then by all means. Yeah. An hour and a half of some sad writer crying on a computer. <laughs> Totally. In the film. <laughs> <laughs> and then snuggling his dog. Yeah. <laughs> the twist at the end when he snuggled his dog, that's yes. really good. Oh, it's so 45 minutes of the dog farting. And <laughs> him crying at every yeah. fart. Oh. <laughs> How yeah. real the dog it's is. Just, yeah. <laughs> just authentically. Yeah, life. but I mean, I think that's the thing too is, we, you know, we got it like there's the creator and there's the editor and I, I really, like I talk about it a lot, I think there's these two relationships and, um, you know, I invite the creator to come in and then, and then I tell the editor, you got to leave the room. And then when the editor comes in, I said, creator, you have to leave the room yeah. and they both have to be able to leave the room. Cause I think that's the only way it, especially in film, if I can say anything about screenwriting and probably in filmmaking too, when you get to the editing side of things, if you won't make one of those people leave the room, mm-hmm. you'll never have a career. Mm-hmm. I just don't think you can do it really today because someone has to come in and either you literally have to be kicked out of the room so someone else can look at your film objectively or your script objectively, or you have to build that in your own self. And I think, uh, you're probably the same with a novel. I mean, all of a sudden you got a book that's like 300 pages long or something. You're gonna have to figure out, okay, well I can't keep everything. Stuff has to go. But I think like if you start seeing that both people are helping whatever you're doing, like both sides of the brain are helping you, you're okay with it, but they don't work well together. No, <laughs> yeah. that's great. And yeah. you, I remember Gabriel Napora saying that on your guys' podcast when he came on, where it's just like it's the difference where you need to have that balance of being able to make an art house film that makes money. Yeah, right. Like something yeah. like Grindhouse, right? Right. It's like Grindhouse done by anybody else probably wouldn't have ever made money. <laughs> right. Or right. Um, what's a really like artistic one? I don't know. Whatever. But yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, Gabe and I actually, and Gabe was another guest on ours. We were talking about, because um, he does a lot of stuff in sci-fi. He, he he branches out. His favorite movie is Whiplash, so he's not like, you know, which is yours too. Yeah. Um, yeah, one one, of them. yeah, one of them for sure. Yeah, so he's not, he's not like, th- those are his favorite types of films, but he's made a career and a consistency out of making money out of sci-fi type projects. And we, we had a two-hour conversation just the other day on this, and we were talking about all the various films, and like, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind like that film did really well but like if you look at that film it was a huge risk to make and that's the thing is like um i think a lot of time we come into stuff as filmmakers and we don't understand like what films are a risk and what films are not a risk because like if you take a film like ex machina if that's or ex machina how do you say it ex machina ex machina that's how you say it? I think so. I always say it wrong. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Or X Machina. Okay. Yeah. Machina. X Machina. Okay, X Machina. Okay, anybody, if, if that script came along across your table, it's an instant make it. If there's no there's no question. It has everything you possibly want out of a movie. Um, it has mm-hmm. mystery. It has suspense. It has all that stuff. You take Spotless Mind, it's a little bit harder for people to try on the subconscious adventure into dreams. I mean, it's just, you know, it's so much more subjective and artsy, right? Mm -hmm. But like one of the things that I've been learning, because I'm really like committed to making a career as as a filmmaker, I want to branch from being a screenwriter, which I feel like I've done to moving into being an actual like filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and I, and what I've been learning as I go through the process is kind of like your books, you know, there's certain types of books that will sell Mm -hmm. and people will get behind. There's certain, you know, and I figure, okay, well, I need to understand what works and why and what's not a risk so that I can 
build a certain, um, uh, uh, ability for myself to, to make a riskier film, but not go into it blind, know that I'm going, okay, well, we're taking a risk here, but I understand the business enough that I can make a risky film because like, you know, I, I've gone through the process of investing all my money into a film. I've done that and I've sunk myself just about and doing it the wrong way, you know, doing it the way that maybe wasn't as, but I didn't know. But now yeah. like, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. I'm not going to run. I, I will like take a risk, but I'm not going to do it blindly. I'm going to do it going into it knowing, okay, this is the risk I'm taking and I'm willing to live with the consequences. The beautiful thing about these mistakes that we make, because yeah. it's a painful lesson because yeah. I've done the same thing as you, is that you learn so much. Because like for myself, I mean, one of the greatest things I learned is that I absolutely hate production. <laughs> 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 I, because I, I was on that, on that path a little bit, um, you know, in 2015 and 2016 really showed me, no, I don't want to be on yeah. that path. And because I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm really good at this. I'm really good at sort of like do, putting all the production shit together and like putting teams together and creating stuff. Um, my mentality was always like with low budget, which is never a great mentality. If you <laughs> want to be, a, I want to be a great filmmaker on no money. Like it doesn't work that way. And it's because I, but really what I love is, is promoting people's work. I love getting people to be able to show up and do what they love. Um, unfortunately it came with lots of consequences for me, <laughs> but it was, it, but now I know the process and yeah, that sure. process made me so much better as an artist and made me understand, um, my limits and my boundaries that I need to put up for myself. Cause we have to, you know? Well, like, you know, that poster right up there of yeah. this, you know, that's a feature film. I mean, it's not going to yeah. be ever released as a feature, but that is a feature film. And, and mm-hmm. I raised a hundred grand to make that movie. Yeah. And I hid that photo away for an entire year. Cause I couldn't look at it. Every time I saw it, I got upset. I got angry. I was like, fuck this, this thing fucked me over. And, 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 and I hit this year, I hit 2017 and I said, you know what? I'm proud of this thing. Yeah. I'm proud of this movie because it took everything. Like it took everything out of me. I spent every dollar I had when people are going out drinking and partying. Yeah. I was spending money on this. I was putting everything I had into that. And it is the reason why I even have a career today. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? This is a tattoo. This is a memory of my life. It's not something I'm going to hide from anymore. Mm. And I, I put that up on my wall and my career changed. My career literally went from being, I hate what I'm doing. I really like, like everybody thinks this is so cool. And I don't to now I think this is cool. And this is what I really wanted to do. And I really just had to, I had to basically just take that one on the chin and and see. And what you said is like, it's taught me so much. And I, and I thought about it. I'm like, would I take it back? Would I, if I could go back and not do it, would I do it? I said, well, no, I'd still do it because think about what I would have to lose if I gave it Mm -hmm. up you know? And I think this is kind of the, this is the grind of being an artist, you know, this is the kind of like, you got to go through sometimes the, uh, what's that, you know, you know, like when, when they like train a new soldier and everybody walks down the line and everybody beats them as they like walk through it. What's that? The gap, <laughs> like running the gauntlet, the gauntlet. Yeah. yeah you yeah. got to run the gauntlet a little, you know, you got to mm-hmm. run the gauntlet. Yeah. You got to take some beatings sometimes because, you know, it's not like all of us have, um, you know, mentors and guides right out of the gate that, you know, and sometimes we do, but those people are misinformed and they mislead us and they send us more into a gauntlet than anyone, you know? And so I think like, you know, you're just sharing like, yeah, you go, you built your project, you go through your gauntlet, 
you come out of it. If you've survived at that point, you've, you've kind of had your rite of passage, you know? If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. (laughs) You're you're sitting here with four artists who've been exceptionally challenged. (laughs) Like I, I, I mean, I don't know you very well, Owen, but I can hear it is that you went through challenge. Even if it's just like some major coming up against your own shit. That yeah. is the hardest challenge is like... Well, that's usually what most of it is. It is most it's of almost it. It's almost never... Like, the external stuff is always so small yeah. in comparison to the daily struggle of getting up and doing it. Yeah. yeah. Doing the work, applying yourself, and and throwing your shit at the wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, ha- and running the risk of somebody saying, hey, that's just a bunch of shit on the wall. <laughs> and being like, oh... <laughs> <laughs> I have a buddy who uh, is a really like established and successful poker player. That's when I before I wrote, I worked in the poker industry. Interesting. Uh, like I traveled around the world writing about high stakes poker tournaments, uh, which was a job I found on Craigslist. Uh, believe it or not, <laughs> it was amazing. But anyway, so this so I know this guy through that, and he's uh, you know around thirty. Yeah. He won a European poker tour event for like mid six figures. He finished second in a world poker tour event. For, he's quite successful. He's been quite successful online. Yeah. Uh, and he wants to be a writer. And, and so we got, uh, we got to talking through that. Um, and the thing for him is like, he, he wants to be a writer, but every time he logs onto his computer, if he brings up poker stars, he knows he can make like, you know, whatever, a hundred bucks an hour, whatever he's making. And so there's no, you know, if you're writing, if you're creating art, you have to like, you have to, you have to do it on faith that one day you will be rewarded. And one day, even if it's just one day, people will watch your stuff or people will read your stuff and you'll get good feedback. Whereas, you know, it's almost like it's, it's, it's terrible for him because you know, who would not want to make a hundred dollars an hour? Yeah, at their but the thing is, is that there's yeah. still this burning desire inside for him. He's like, but I want to write. Yeah, uh, and it's, I've I've been reading um, uh, a book by Alan Watts recently, um, and he had this sort of like analogy on sort of our Western because he does sort of like almost like a it's like okay, the Western world has this sort of a philosophy, the Eastern world has sort of uh-huh. this philosophy, right? And he's pointing this thing out in the Western world where it's like he's like, we have this approach where it's like, basically it's like, we want to like precision. We eat each end of the banana. <laughs> right. And she's like, cause we start at the beginning and then we want the sure. end, right? Like, it's just this whole thing of, and it's kind of like this, Oh, well I can go and I can make this, this money. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's, I know that I can do that. And you know, there is a certain value to it, but you actually lose out on the whole, like most of the nourishing part of an entire yeah, yeah, yeah. experience to be had. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know what I think is interesting. That is another sort of theme that has kind of jumped into my life is that this is not like we put so many limitations on ourselves, but we actually don't live in an and or world. Your friend right. could go on, make $600 if you wanted to, and then write for two hours. You know, there's an, it's an end and world. And when we can embrace that, because it's, it's like, it's like yourself, I have to finish this project. And then I write until like three o'clock in the morning on this passion project. 
And, and it's just like myself, like I have a creative coaching career and I work creativity with my own vocations into sure. that. Or, you know, I do this and I do this. Like we actually get to live in an, an enriched life, but it can be such a mind fuck to actually get there. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I think also it's just having the, you know, it's being able to like turn off the computer or turn off the, the like for me, yeah. I had to quit my job because I had a comfortable job and I didn't, you know, I was getting paid to travel the world. What, what did I need to write for? But all I wanted to do was write, but I couldn't, you know, Yeah. I did. I just didn't have the like discipline. Absolutely. Leaps of faith are huge. Yeah. And, and, and just developing the, the, the discipline and the knowledge that if you don't do it, you're going to. No, I never do yeah, it. Yeah, it's never going to get done. Exactly. That, that's what hit me this last December. Because this 2016, I built a writing career. And mm-hmm. my writing career was was in the, it was lined up to take on, it was only going to amplify this year. And and uh, I I was really upset in December. I just, I actually, to be honest, even November, like just a two or three, in October, just a couple months before that. And I just got to a point in December. I remember I sat down, I was in a cafe and I sat down. I'm like, if I keep going this way, I'm going to live a dream that somebody else wants. Hmm. And this isn't my dream. And, and I was just like, what do, what is my dream? My dream is to be a filmmaker. My dream isn't to be some writer and not to say that writing, I love writing. Don't get me wrong. Some writer. Who so, would want to do that? I don't, <laughs> don't want to be, I don't want to end up like that Owen guy. Yeah. <laughs> No, 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 I don't mean like, (laughs) I'm still going to write. I'm going to write every single day. I mean, but I don't want to be a, I don't want my writing to be something that people hire me for. Yeah. Not like, at least now in my life, like I was like, I had like, I had this conversation with myself kind of through journaling, but I was like, it's not that I don't want to write. I love writing. I'm writing a novel right now. I have some screenplays of my own, but I want to write what I want to write. I don't want to have to write what someone hires me to write. I don't want to write someone else's shit. I want to write my shit. And so the other thing I was like, okay, well, that's part of it. The other thing is, is that I want to like, I want to write my own stuff, but I also want to be a filmmaker. And that's why I even got into this in the beginning. And so I said, I just asked myself, would you be willing to give up this kind of bread and butter thing? That's Mm -hmm. like paying you money to take a risk and do the thing that you really say you want to do. And I was like, I literally that day I was like, I started saying, I'm not doing these projects. I'm not, uh, you know, like basically started saying no to everything. And I immediately hired a writer and I got a project like off the ground to start being shot for the fall that I'll direct. And I was just like, the moment I did that, I turned from being like kind of in this like kind of downward depressed state to being so excited about life and the things that have happened since, I mean, it's been, I mean, it's been, I guess it's been a month, maybe, maybe a month and a half since that's happened, I like have just been so profound. And I'm like, why was I so scared to take this risk in a way? You know what I mean? But yeah, like, I really think like, you know, that's another thing as an artist, we got to be careful. We're not living some other person's dream. Like, like I was on a path where I think a lot of people thought it was cool. You know, I had people going, Oh, it's so great. You're getting hired. You're getting paid to write. Mm -hmm. And like, there's a bit of an ego stroke with that, but it's like, that's what excites you, but it doesn't necessarily excite me. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And that's hard. I mean, that's like, it's really hard. Like I, like if for our audience, like try that on, imagine you actually started getting paid, 
but you're doing an art that wasn't really your art. <laughs> like, well, I mean, the like, thing is, is that it's like you get caught in the thing. It's like I should be happy about this. Yeah, I should be whatever. Yeah. But the thing is, like you can't. You, like you can only bullshit yourself for so long. Yeah. Right. Like there's, there's it's especially when it comes to creativity and artistry, yeah. it's like, and, and something calling out yeah. within you. Cause it is like, I think artistry is a calling of sorts. I mean, there's no other nutty fucking reason why you would do something. <laughs> right. Like it's just, it's a calling. You have to have it like really deep inside yeah. you. Like, uh, which is why, I mean, sometimes I think it got a little carried away. Um, you know, especially like in, in some of the, like the acting communities and stuff like that, where it was just like, you've got to like, like it's life or death. You've got to be like, it's like walking yeah. the, walking a high wire, you know, like, it's gotta be, like you've got to want to do that and blah, 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 blah. And like, I, it, it puts like this weird sort of like stigma around it, but I understand it more on a level. It's like, no, it's just, it's going to be hard. like it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be challenging. Make sure you really love this fricking thing. Mm -hmm. Make sure you really love it before you commit yourself to it. Because I think like a lot of artists, this is the thing is like, we, we have a signature. You're an artist and your uniqueness is your art, your unique kind of mind, the things that you want to create, the way that you create it, the way that you see it, the way that you say it, your perspective is, is our artistry. Mm-hmm. And so many people go into it with um, with an outcome of something like fame. Mm-hmm. Their goal is not to be an artist. Their goal is to be famous. Yeah, it's a sure. very, very different goal, yeah. right? Because then, yeah, absolutely, you're going to take all the writing jobs that you can. You're going to write all the ghost writing books or do these things that people mm-hmm. hire you for. You're going to travel the world and, and write about poker, you know, even though you really want to be writing crime novels, right? And Or, you know, all these different things or you're, you're going to be a writer instead of a filmmaker, you know? And, and so... I remember one teacher saying to me, like, or it was something, I heard it somewhere where it was like, if you don't really fucking love this, then please do something else. Go be a lawyer. Go be a doctor. Go be something. If if money and fame is what you want, yeah, go go after that in a a different way. Don't try and be an original writer. (laughs) Like, you know? Because it is. Because it's so challenging. And you come up against against everything that holds you back right yeah. you come against those those layers of onions that seep from day one of your birth that have yeah. crawled into the muck and they, they, they <laughs> that's a lot of analogy it right? it's, like, it's like it's onions it's, it's and so, it's muck so and it's crawling are you talking like, about a mucky onion a mucky onion it's it's beautiful it's angelic you're just no going. that's 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 your next um that's your next self help book so I write a story of creativity. Okay. <laughs> I write self improvement, and I'm working on my um, my fucking series right now. And so my first book's done, and I'm in the editing process. And oh, it's nice. called uh, Shift Right Fucking Now. And mm, then sweet. the next one is going to be called Shut the Fuck Up. It's a guide to infinite self compassion. I like these bold titles. And yeah. then my third one's yeah. called Let's Fuck, and that's <laughs> 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 and it's a it's a guide to modern relationships. Yeah, wow. um, I could just see someone like looking at you know you're walking through the the bookstore yeah. and you're like let's fuck it's like all right <laughs> <laughs> sold yeah sold I don't even want to read it I just yeah. want to buy it <laughs> there's no pictures in here. <laughs> <laughs> 
great. Yeah, it's fun. Those are great titles. Uh, thank you, thank you. And you know what's really interesting about hearing your guys' process is I'm actually the complete opposite. I under I underwrite. So, like, for a book that should be 150 to 200 pages, you, I'll have a book that's 90. And really? so in my editing, yeah, and I'll have, like, little star, because when I get stuck, I say, fuck this, and I put a little red star, and I say, you need to fill this in, and then I just keep writing. Hmm. And, and, and then in my editing process, that's when in my you book, becomes, yeah, everything, even, huh. even scripts for me. No, so I'm your like, editing is the reverse. Your editing is, like, I'm going to add to it as opposed to, like, take away. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting, wow. it's a totally different process, because my process is get this fucking thing done. Hmm. Get it done. Get it done as fast and as quick as you can so that you actually have something You'd be of value. a good CEO. Oh. <laughs> See, that's funny. Get my it process, done. My process is also get it done. But I'm yeah. just like, get it done. Like, don't worry about where you go and just write. Yeah, and yeah. so, like, my first book was 160,000 words when I finished the first draft. <laughs> and as published, it was 95,000 words. Yeah. Oh, and, like, the cutting was the, mo- it was the most cathartic, most wonderful thing. Like, because, yeah. I, I, you know, I had my, like, t- my old teacher in my head, and, and I knew what made a good, like, it's a thriller, so it has to be tight. Yeah. It can't be meandering. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, like, in the in the first... He kicked seven stones as he walked to the Exactly, floor. yeah. You can't <laughs> yeah. be describing each of those seven yeah. stones. And you're not very stone. He didn't realize he was standing in front of the yeah. milk he for felt seven you're minutes not, yeah. the door open, you're wasting not, energy. <laughs> you're not writing Zen in the Art of Motorcycle. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't be. There's no Zen in the. I know why Mora didn't call him back, but he sat for seven more minutes in front of that milk. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you about every one of those minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Minute one. <laughs> like he thought 60, about his childhood. <laughs> Thirty thousand words in this grocery yeah. store. <laughs> Which Folks, is this podcast is unedited. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're getting it exactly how it is. You can definitely steal these. Brilliant ideas. So, so okay. the title of my next book is actually "Let's Fuck." What so, the fuck, yeah, dude? It's, yeah, I'm, right? coming, I'm writing that one is too. It like a <laughs> it's a picture book. It's yeah, a picture. it's mostly just selfies. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what the camera was all for. Yeah. Hashtag the woods. Yeah, I'm in the woods. You know, you can huge camera. I'm standing on a train. That's right. That's fuck. All these trains have me naked in it. Right. That's what you were getting. It's a metaphor. Yeah, it's a metaphor. Powerful locomotive. <laughs> to be who you want to be. She wants. <laughs> this is what she wants, you know. She's just trying to enroll everyone into her book. Let's fuck. Let's fuck. That's right. it's, a, it's a film. You want to be a filmmaker, right? Yeah, sell the film. What am I filming? Yeah. <laughs> we don't know yet, Brandon. We don't know yet. Just take it as a come. This yeah. is the creative process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, they made a movie out of he's just not that into That's you. True. That's mm-hmm. true. And it was an okay movie. But it's because the cast was okay. Was it? Yeah, it was an okay movie because the yeah. cast was okay. <laughs> I don't know what okay means. But, you know, I have this tendency to really enjoy shitty work um, in the film <laughs> industry. I do. I relish in it. And then I watch it again and I'm like, this is so awful. <laughs> but I like it. Like, I rewatched it's all of Charmed. Guil- guilty pleasure. Like, yeah. full on. <laughs> there's, there's yeah, it's Alyssa Milano. Who doesn't like Alyssa <laughs> Sometimes we just need There's a little things. bit of garbage. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. what are the other garbage things? Like, not garbage. Your art is beautiful. Sorry, humans. But yeah, maybe not. But, but some of it's pretty, <laughs> like you know, like I watched a lot of Vampire Diaries. <laughs> Gossip Girl for me. Oh yeah. But like, <laughs> I'm not and afraid then you to trash and you're like, things. Oh, face palm. That like, 
are obviously like so completely devoid of any sort of thematic or significant yeah like idea contribution <laughs> to society you know it's like when it's just so obviously like completely a distraction like at least make an effort to communicate a message yeah. you know it's like if i get a whiff that that's not happening at all where it's like no like this is just a bunch of shit on the wall <laughs> <laughs> And it stinks. <laughs> so, yeah, but like, at least shit that's thrown at the wall that I'm like, okay, yeah, but I can see that they were trying to, like, do this with it. I sure. can see that there was an okay. attempt at something a little bit greater than it's, like, the sum of its parts, right? Yeah. But if I don't get that, then I'm just like, well, then what's the point? Hmm. See, I don't I don't necessarily need that. Like, I will, I will watch, like, shitty Nicolas Cage movies. Like, like late-period Nicolas Cage. Like, not to... <laughs> Not to talk shit about Nicolas Cage, but like, like, like the that's magician's not, assistant Nicolas Cage like, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Drive Angry, where he's like coming out of the. <laughs> None of us have heard of that. <laughs> it's what, so he he plays uh, like a, a refugee from hell who comes to and Amber Heard is in it as like the bombshell and he's in a fast car and there's like the devil character. It's like so there's no message you're not gonna walk away <laughs> yeah but like at the same time like whatever i listen to really ignorant rap music that like i don't you know there's no message it's just it's just it's a banger it's you know it makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> where i where i check out is if there's no like empathy and if there's no like if, if someone is presenting in a movie for instance or a tv show like presenting the characters as i the creator am better than these people laugh at them Mm. Like I want mm. as 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 an mm. artist and as a consumer, I want I want something where someone's like, look at these people who are in like a different situation than yours. Yeah, let's let's understand why they're in here. Like even yeah. if they're like ridiculous people, even if they're people who's like, you know, like like the Duck Dynasty people, for instance. Yeah, I mean, or or the like. Honey Baba or whatever, like I don't boo-boo? want Honey Boo Boo. Yeah, I don't want. I don't honey want Baba. that Honey Baba. That's the sheep. I don't want to. Be, I don't want that presented as like laugh at this. Like you know. Oh, I, I lo- yeah, totally. I want. I want like if you're gonna if you're gonna do yeah. something with those characters, let's let's give me some insight. Let's not. Yeah. I don't want people laughing. So that's mm. yeah. Yeah, some some level of actual connection. Yeah, to what's going yeah. on, or at least attempt to help me connect to these people in some way, see myself in them. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's acknowledge that these are human beings, and let's try to yeah. like figure out what makes them tick, as opposed to let's let's laugh at these people who are living, you know, lives that we think we're better than. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't make stuff so that we can do that, though. Like that's something. Like I think that stuff's made like that now. Yeah. Let's make def- something yeah. so that we can be better than these people, right? Art is yeah. very telling of like people. where where people are at too. Like art is yeah. like uh, you know, and I think that I think that's the hard part, especially as you get into like writing. I find more is like you you start to realize that you're you're bearing your soul in front of everybody, mm-hmm. and and um, your your little bullshit judgments and all that shit are going to start coming out. You know if you're you know, if you're not like kind of paying attention and like, you know, um, seeing it. And I think like, that's, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, everybody has their own kind of thing and with, with art. And I think we all have different opinions about it, but, um, I think ultimately like at the end of the day, it's like you put your truth out there and you can kind of see yourself 
Um, you know, I was working like I, I've been doing a bunch of consulting jobs recently and you know, I was working with one writer and I, I've just gotten to the point now where I like, I don't really, I'm not as patient as I, I think I was when I started. I'm like a little bit more like that's bullshit. <laughs> like, I'm just like, you don't know your character. And, and, and he was really like kind of taken back by that. And he's in, and he got really defensive and I'm like, look, I'm like, you're being defensive about this whole thing. I'm not here to make you do anything, but I just can tell you don't know your character. You're talking about plot points. You're not talking about character. You're talking Mm -hmm. about what the character does. You're talking about all this other stuff. I'm like, look, you gotta, we gotta look at this. We gotta, and I tell this to every writer. I said, we gotta look at your script as though it's not even written. We gotta look at it as, as this is a person. And, um, you know, he said, you know, you're, you're, you're very like, what's the word he used? Um, like you're, you're very, uh, direct and very like, um, blunt. <laughs> That's what he said. You're blunt. <laughs> Underneath the subtext of it, it's like, I think you're, you're a bit asshole. of an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're a bit of an asshole. But you know what I, like the way I look at it is like, is like, this is the kind of feedback you need. Cause nobody's going to tell you it. Like everybody's going to say, Oh, your script's good and blah, 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 blah. Like what you need is me to come around and, and not only do it from a place of like total compassion and here to help you, but you need someone to come in and say like, look, this is like, you can't talk your way around this because when it gets to the audience, they're not going to care. But like right now you can look at that and you can really care. And like, the thing is, is like, it, it was really interesting the way the conversation unfolded because by the end of it, you know, what, what I do is I learned a couple things over the last few years. One thing is say what you mean, say exactly what you mean. Don't fucking skirt around it. No candy coating, no anything. Say exactly what you mean and shut up and let that person talk themselves right into their own corner. Mm-hmm. And he talked himself <laughs> right into his own corner and he said, okay, you know what? After you talk, 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 talk. Okay. I can see, I can see how this is happening. I didn't say anything after that. And what I learned was that you don't ever need to fight for anything if you have, if you have something that's truthful and authentic. Yeah. And that I think is one thing that I could share with all artists across the board. If you have something truthful, say your truth and shut up. You don't need to justify it. You don't need to tell anybody. They will eventually come because the truth is the truth. I mean, it's not like, like, it's not that it's the truth, but honesty and authenticity is it, it like, it, it's like, it's like we've had a hundred podcasts and we start finding there's certain things that come up every podcast. They're always the same. It's like, have some faith, have a little trust, yeah. you know, um, be authentic. Stop trying to be something you're not. The, the same thing comes up with every single artist that ever comes on the show. And it's like, at a certain point you go, okay, this isn't our truth. This is like kind of a human thing. You a know universal I mean? truth. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so when you're saying something that you know is kind of a universal truth about story or something, mm-hmm. you go, or someone's like, you know, when someone's, you know, when someone's like kind of bullshitting and you know, they're bullshitting and you go, you're that's bullshit. I don't mm-hmm. believe you that, and they have to defend their bullshit. It comes out pretty quick, whether they're mm-hmm. bullshitting or not. If you don't try to like play into their bullshit, you know what I mean? Well, this is another thing is, is if you're getting defensive, especially about your art or yeah. being defensiveness is, is literally, it, it is, it is, it's kind of like the, the knowledge that that something's off and it's kind of like the the something you there's something you don't want to admit and so you're getting defensive about something and the the whole thing is is that it's not it's not a wrong thing so your your client whatever didn't didn't look into his character enough and he got really defensive because the whole thing was maybe he just hasn't been compassionate that he hasn't put into the work 
yeah. in the work and just doing and, and all it is is a little tweak here do do a, do a character exercise yeah. write about your character well I think like, it's also it, it plays into that whole thing of you know artists and creators like I'm I'm not good enough I'm not yeah. good enough right like yeah. I don't I don't deserve to to do something worth of anything yeah. to anybody right like it's just like and and so we get defensive <laughs> about things that we know are actually true right and it's um and it provides an excellent opportunity which is why I think it's like it's you have to have compassion mm-hmm. and uh an empathy for where you're at well, and that's the other thing too. I mean, and he did, and I was going to say that, like he said that afterwards, he was like, you know, he was like, um, I feel like you, like, he's like, you're this experienced writer and and you're telling me I haven't come in with the right preparation. And I was like, um, we also had another person on the call, but it was like, no, this is an exercise. This isn't about whether yeah. your work is good or mm-hmm. not. And once we kind of went through that, yeah. he was like, oh, okay. And he's like, cause he felt like I mean, and, and I'm, I'm learning like, cause I mean, uh, script consulting is kind of relatively new to me, but I'm realizing that when I come in and people say like, Oh, Brandon's coming in, he's going to help you with your script. I don't like script doctor. I work with process, mm-hmm. but it's intimidating because now they've hired this guy to come in and be like, you know, everyone Some says person you don't know is going <laughs> to come in yeah. and you're like, yeah. and they're going <laughs> to judge my work. Right. right? Which is yeah. exactly like what you don't want. Like right. in it's some scary. ways that your ego doesn't want it at the very least. That's the thing you have to, you, if you're going to survive as an artist, you have to check your ego at the door. And I think especially in film, but you know, in, in my career as well, art is a collaborative process Yes, and you have to be willing to take advice and take input that will make the work better, regardless of who it's coming from. You can't be so attached you, you can't go in thinking, well, this is my baby. No one is going to tell me how to dress my baby. Yeah. Like, you and have it's perfect to, the way it is. Yeah, yeah. No one's going to teach my baby how to count. <laughs> Doesn't need to count. <laughs> he thinks nine comes after ten. It's fine. <laughs> you have to, you have to, like, you have to be willing to, like, listen to the script consultant who says this is not working. And you have to yeah. be able to say, well, you're right. Let's do something. And not take it personally. Because yeah. I think that's the thing. Is like It has nothing to do with what somebody says. It's what we say to ourselves after. Mm. Oh, he said that my character's not good. But it's because I'm a shitty writer and I'm never going to make it. And nothing's going to ever come from this. And I can't do this. And blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no. This is going to make you better. But you, <laughs> like, I mean, you're always going to feel... I think... But like you said, check your ego at the door. But it's it's also check, like, watch your ego. Yeah. Make sure that you're listening when it says stuff like that so that you're not saying, right, that's true. Right. So you can go, oh, thank you for those edits. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other thing, too, is I think you're right. And I, I think, like, I'm learning, I'm kind of learning to toe the line with it, right? Because I want to err on the side of I'd rather be the blunt guy than be the guy that was too soft. Because at the end of the day, like, we're talking about putting $15 million into a movie right? That's like, it's, no, yeah. it's no chump change. People's, you know, and, and we're talking about whether this film will actually even get made or not. And, and, and I'm not working on like, Oh, this guy hopes his film will get made one day. I'm working with real producers yeah. who put $15 million into movies who work with studios. I'm working with a script that they are considering green lighting. It's yeah. not like we're not talking child's play here. So you, you know, when you're dealing with that type of thing, it's, you need someone on your, in your corner, who's going to say like, you know, if you're a boxer and you get in that ring 
you're going to get knocked out if you don't figure out how to put your guard up. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you're in training and that person's like, no, your guard isn't up, you know, you're going to get knocked out in the ring. No one gives a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like the other thing is too, is like kind of going, okay, well, doesn't mean I need to cold clock you with, with a punch in the face, but you need to realize that this is not happening. Like this morning I, uh, when I, when I, like, I've been staying up super late and crating, right? That's like kind of my, my magic hour has been like, you know, from like probably about midnight till 3am. I just have this magic time. It's like, just do it. But this morning I had some tasks I need to get done because I've been, you know, I've taken on all these consulting jobs. We're doing these movies, all this shit's happening. And <clears throat> my alarm went off at 9am and I said, fuck it, I'm sleeping in. And I woke up at 11 and I was like, you know what? And I said to myself, if I, if I break my word again on that, it's cold showers. And I fucking had an ice shower this morning <laughs> and it was like, and it's winter, right? Like it's cold out. And I'm just like my skin, like I, you know, goose pimples like all over. Cause you know, like I was freezing <clears throat> in this shower and it was painful as hell. And I was like, this is what's going to happen now. If you say you're going to do something and you don't do it, this is, this is, you're going to have a nice cold shower because <laughs> you need to feel letting yourself down. And it's like a, it's kind of like that punch in the face because like what I had a realization of this week was, is like, if I don't follow through with what I say, I follow through with, if I don't raise my game, what goes is the things that are most important to me, yeah. you know? And so when you have that relationship with it, like, as I'm working with these writers yeah. is, and, and I think they're getting it right. They're really, it's really landing. I'm like, your movie goes away. If, if I don't give you the cold shower right now, you know what I mean? Like if you don't get that ice shower, it goes away. And so I, so one of my models too, is like any type of mentorship or leadership is you got to live the exact same thing you want to coach or mentor. Yeah. And you know this, if you don't live it, how can you, how can you uphold mm. someone else to it? It's, it's yeah. interesting how you, how you approach that though. Cause I approach it in a completely different way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would never torture myself like that. Well, I don't look at it I'm as torture. I'm writing a book called no, no. Infinite Self-Compassion. Right? <laughs> it actually, it was compassion. It wasn't, I didn't do it from a place of punishment. I did it from a place of like, you need to feel like physically in the moment, what it's like when you let yourself down. Cause there's a certain part of like, no, but another thing is your personality needs that. Yeah. And so that's yes, actually going to be true. the people that's going to show up for you to mentor or yeah. the people that need that kind of thought process, that mindset. Um, and for myself, like I'm someone who's like, you need to show yourself so much compassion. Yeah. If you don't get something done, you know, and you don't consistently get something done, you need to look at that very harshly or intensely. But if, if you're having a rough week and you need to sleep in, then you need to do that. You know, like if you're going through something where this is intent, like I, I agree with you, like, but it's a, just I, a completely <clears throat> different way of mentorship. I, but I, no, I hear yeah. that side. And I think that's, you know, it's probably, you can probably help me with that side of my life because, <laughs> you know, and vice versa. <clears throat> right? yeah, yeah, maybe right. I need to take some cold showers and maybe you need to sleep in every once in a while. No, it, it's it, a happy medium. It's How true. about a slap in the face and a warm bath? <laughs> <laughs> You know what? That's a good movie. That's a good title for a book. How about a slap in the face and a nose? Let's co-write it. it yeah, exactly. Great. <laughs> it's all a collaboration. Um, yeah. So, um, okay. Well, hey, do you want to mention this beer? It's it's um, very dark. It, it's it's got such a strong, robust smell to it. You know, robust. Sense robust. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm interested the... to hear what Owen thinks of it. 
Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say it was robust. Yeah, robust. Yeah. Okay, nice. Tastes dark. Yeah, tastes dark. <laughs> Does anybody want more? It tastes dark. It tastes yeah, like more almost... There. I'm good. Thank you. It's good? almost like it's got caramel I'm or okay something. For now. Like caramel... Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's got. It's very malty. Yeah, it's very mm-hmm. malty. Um, it's uh, it's a little heavier. It's it's like really. Um, it's like a treat. That's how I'm experiencing. It's it. like a treat. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is uh, from Central City Brewing. This is. Oh, you're you're gonna have a taste of a cat. Oh. <laughs> don't don't put that on the end. <laughs> cat doesn't drink. Cat's beer. not a beer drinker. And this was that was a good hit for you because you're not a, used. To, and that's a dark one. Yeah, that's a dark one. It tastes dark, like coffee a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah. a little coffee. Um, this is uh, this is the the uh, seasonal Doppelbach from the Doppelbach. Yeah, the Doppelbach. Wow, <laughs> from Central City. <laughs> the Doppelbach. Put that in your mouth. <laughs> Put that in your mouth. Nice Doppelbach in your mouth. <laughs> Yeah, I was. It was either that or their other seasonal was like a, a Belgian strong, mm. and I had a taste of that, and I was like, probably not. Give me the doppelbock. <laughs> Give me the doppelbock. <laughs> yeah, the Belgian strong was strong. strong. It yeah. was like, yeah, that was like being punched in the taste buds. Mm. It was like this rich. It almost tasted like syrup. Okay. Yeah. Really? Like ha- yeah. high alcohol content syrup. <laughs> he was like, oh. But so do we know what a Doppelbach is? is it like, what is the... Um, a Doppelbach is a German-style beer. Okay. Um, and I believe it's almost like, it's like a, um, I think it's usually like sort of an October, fall kind of a, of a beer. Like a- done in Done in Germany. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's... Not meant to be as kind of like, like a like you would get in a stout or a, or a porter mm-hmm. or anything. It's meant to be, I think, uh, have a little bit of a refreshing quality okay. to it, um, but have kind of like a richness. As it's well. good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like it too. I mean, I, I do like it. It's um, it's definitely one of the unique ones that stand out a little bit. You know, because it's not something you'd normally have. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's, it is a thicker, sweeter beer. So like, I don't know, like it's, I don't know, you know, there's certain beers they can just go down so quick. This is like one that you just, it's almost like you just sip it and you take it. Slow. Well, you wouldn't yeah. want to lay in for like a night of just no, like, this wouldn't would be your only beer. No, this would be like one to like, maybe savor. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. I feel like if you were putting these down real quick, you would regret it pretty quick. Yeah. Real yeah. quick. Real quick, um, <laughs> and we also got champagne on the show because it's a hundred. Yeah, so we're all drinking champagne. And in fact, bubbly. why don't we? Why don't we cheers to that two-year centennial BB yeah. podcast? Yeah. Cheers! Thank you. Thanks for coming back on. Yeah, our pleasure. Yes. Well, it's not over yet, so let's continue onward. Um, what were some other standout points in our podcast over this last hundred, Evan? That really uh, stood out for you. Um, well, you know, it's like, cause I guess most of this has been like the 20 through 2016, which was a very interesting year for myself. Um, everybody shakes their head. Yeah. It's like, oh man. In terms of like so challenging, (laughs) so challenging, uh, 2016 was for, uh, you know, just personal reasons and as well as like 
external reasons, yeah. you know, like there was, you know, I, especially like to, specifically, I'll say like the U S election was like, I think everybody in the world felt the energy of yeah. that shit show, mm-hmm. you know, what, regardless of the outcome, like it was just it like, was a shit show. It, it was a shit show. Yeah. It took its toll on, on everybody. It was a wake up call. Um, mm-hmm. but, and it was just sort of, I don't know. I kind of felt like it just, it was just all felt so right for all of 2016 mm-hmm. in yeah. some way. Um, but for myself and I've talked about this a few times is, is I really, really, it was hammering away at me about this whole thing about needing to be right was just like, for me, that was, that was the thing that I'm like, get over this. Yeah. Get over this shit about needing to be right, Mm -hmm. especially within, within art. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and we kind of touched on like some of these things all kind of funnel into each other. The creative process, there's these little truths that are all kind of interconnected. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel that that's part of like, you know, throw shit at the wall. You know, it's like, let go of this thing. Like you need to make this thing perfect. Like mm-hmm. create something just like, yeah, just, you've got to get it, spill it out, move it out of you and stop judging it like from right out of the gate. And also because realizing, and I'm still working on it, but that I don't even know what the right thing is. Yeah. I don't even know what, you know, that perfect thing is. I don't even know how the best way to communicate this is, but do it, like trust what you have right now and, and create it. Mm. You know, that was, that was the big thing for me over this year and through our podcast that was sort of, it's, it kind of permeates a lot of, I, I think it's at the root of a lot of creative issues. I mean, usually, and that's what I've always, I've enjoyed about this year of doing podcasts is that there's all of these surface things. Right. And like, I know within like acting and stuff, you know, there's like all of these teachers and I've been in part of classes and stuff where it's just like, okay, well, you know, you apply this technique, add this technique into what you do. And it's like, and now you've got all these little band-aid solutions mm-hmm. to all stuff. And it's like when really there's a fundamental core issue way underneath the surface and uncovering those things as, and once you start to resolve those or, or not, not even necessarily resolve them, but at least become aware of them, mm-hmm. you begin to, th- then those like little band-aid solutions, you don't need the band-aids anymore because you're not getting these, these little dings and these cuts anymore. Your blocks to presence. You're, yeah. It's like, it's all these blocks, these, these core things that, and for me, that was, is one of them that kind of kept on surfacing and surfacing. It's just like, yeah, like all of this other stuff that can distract you as being, Oh, this is the problem. This is the promise. And now you're, you're just jumping, you know, you're like, um, you know, when you watch like really young kids playing, uh, playing a sport for the first time, (laughs) you know, they're like, they're all just running for the ball or all chasing the puck. They're not playing position or they're not, they don't have the understanding of, of how the, that's actually a more effectual way to, to do this. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think in our creative process, we can do that. It's like, okay. And we're trying to jump, find that magic, that magic solution. Everyone's looking for the like shortcut. Yeah. The, you know, the, the bandaid that's going to be like, well, if I do this, it will guarantee that I'll get that part or that 
you know, totally. oh, this this book will work. Or, so. And yeah. it's and like, it's, and then it's like, it's about turning it, and then it's like you turn that vision from looking out for something out here, and then you turn it back on mm-hmm. yourself. And you say it's like, oh shit, this thing that I have in me when I'm creating of trying to be right, trying to do the right thing, which you know it's an admirable quality in some respects, um, yeah. but it's preventing me from fully being present and fully. Um, allowing myself to go to wherever I need to go and that it's this core belief that's in me for whatever reason that is creating all of these other little surface problems and so stop running around trying to deal with all of these little things because they'll never go away that in in that respect it's like and actually deal with the biggest thing internally yeah 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 that was that was a big thing for me over over this last year, and the podcast helped me learn that a lot because, you know, to start off with, it's like, oh, are we on the right track? Are we talking about the right things? Are we going too far off this way, too far off that way? Yeah. And just learning to trust it a little yeah. bit more. It's like, okay, I have no idea what the fuck we're talking about right now. <laughs> like I know, like I know what we're talking about, but I don't know how this relates or translates to anything at this moment in time. Sure. But by me being present mm-hmm. and just engaging with the conversation, it all made sense afterwards, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like it all made perfect sense. It all came together somehow that was beyond my own conscious level to comprehend. Sure. Yeah. It's it's kind of like that lesson that you and Brandon were saying is one of these universal lessons is trust yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, because we don't know why we do these things. We don't know why we're called. We don't know why we're moved. We don't know why we're talking about this or why it ends up in our lives this way. But it always ends up okay, you know. And I was saying this to... Um, I was saying this to a client the other day, which is like, you're always, this is your destination and you're always on your way there. It's just that it doesn't look like this. It looks like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going everywhere. Going everywhere because you have to take these turns and whether someone's path is easier than yours or seemingly easier mm-hmm. or like, you know, that person, you know, you see all these ads. Oh, it took me like five months to get like six figure incomes or, or, you know, I just wrote my first book out of whim and like I was published and I got a hundred thousand dollar book bonus yeah. and all this kind of crazy stuff um or, or you know that that actor who's like oh you know i just thought i tried acting and now i'm a famous actor <laughs> you know like that's not true but right. another thing is is yeah. that is that you realize that if you went on that path you wouldn't be the same person and for me like uh, going on the path that i've gone on it's it's created a person that i actually like you know and that's something that's important to me yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely uh well, you know, yeah. it's funny. I was bringing this up last podcast because um, I was looking, watching a documentary on River Phoenix. And mm. River Phoenix, everybody was like, oh, you know, he's this natural. He's this brilliant actor. Um, a lot of people don't realize that River Phoenix, um, when he started acting, he kind of came to Hollywood. He came to California and his career kind of blossomed relatively immediately, partly because of the life he had lived before. Like he... he um, if you know anything about him, I'm not going to get into too much about that, but his career started almost not even really so much by his choice. He, and he became a movie star almost immediately. And then for the next, um, you know, I don't know, almost a decade, he was this, he was like the next James Dean. He was the next big thing. 
But what a lot of people don't realize about him is that he didn't actually really love acting. He loved music. He wanted to be a musician. And he tried to um, basically begin a music music career later in life. And the reason why he kept doing the acting thing and the reason why he took that last job, which was I think called Dark Blood, was because he wanted to make money to take care of his family. And they had like, I don't know, they had kind of extended like people who were, I guess, kind of hanger ons, but he felt like he was the breadwinner and he had to make money for them. And so he, he didn't, he took on this job more because of the money, which is interesting because of this talk we're all talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was after that film wrapped that he actually died. Right. And he died because, uh, he couldn't actually play music on the stage in the Viper room, which, um, which was really was true passion, partly because he couldn't play music. So he decided to do some drugs, which he hadn't done in a really long time. And it ended up being too much and he had an overdose. But what's really interesting is that I think people look at River Phoenix who are actors and they go like, Oh, I want to be that natural. I want to be that whatever. But he didn't even want to be an actor. So Mm. while he was like succeeding in acting and everybody's going like, Oh, I just wish I was like him and I could have that career. He was still lacking because he was like, I just wish I could have this music career. And he, his best friend was flea from, uh, um, the from red, oh, hot yeah, chili red, red hot chili peppers. And, and he wanted a life more like that. <laughs> so what's really funny is like, you know, I was talking about how I changed from being a writer to really embracing filmmaking is that you can have success in a certain way as an artist, but if it's not your artistry, yeah. if it's not your, like mm-hmm. the one you really want, like writing was just bread and butter for me. It was just, you know, I was just putting, uh, you know, covering my rent, uh, making sure I had food, you know, giving me a bit of a lifestyle. Sure. But like, like all the whole time, I'm just like, yeah, but I want to be the guy making the films. I want to be the guy that, you know, they bring the cons who, who's brings the concept, you know, to the production company. I I don't want to be the guy that's always the one who's, you know, and so anyway, my point is, is that I think sometimes we need to we just need, like, we need to kind of keep perspective as artists. Cause I think we see someone else's success and we think, Oh, like if only I had that, I would be happy. But everybody's kind of doing that. Like I've met actors who are on the, the leads of TV shows and stuff. They're making millions of dollars. They bought their condo in Vancouver, which is obviously hard to do. And they're like <laughs> empty in some other area of their life. You know, some people like they can't find that relationship or they can't find, and, and there's always some gap that needs to be filled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we stop trying to use our artistry to fill a gap and we just went down, like what Evan said, that core issue, I think we would get a lot more clearer answers as opposed to like going, Oh, if I just get this relationship, I'll be happy. It's like, yeah, the relationship isn't going to solve your problem. You know, it's like, it's probably just going to make it worse. (laughs) It's just going to cover a core issue. That's actually deep down. Like the the relationship is nice. I mean, get in a relationship, but that's not what's going to make you happy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's something it'll validate you temporarily until it doesn't until it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're in a heap pile of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting, you know, our first podcast, like I remember, like, I remember it still. And it's like you and I were sitting at the table doing our first recording. And I was like, so it's seven or nine. We're doing a little podcast. I even remember saying that, you know, and it's like, (laughs) yeah, now we're at a hundred. We have 5,000 plus followers on Twitter already. I mean, we're gaining like every time we even do a podcast, we grow by about a hundred people. Just, you know, we grow about 200 every time we release one. So like, 
it's, it, and it's just compounding. It's go- And so you think like, man, we didn't know where we were starting, mm-hmm. but we were just like, it seems like it would be good to do. And I think that's kind of where artistry needs to begin. You sure. Know? Yeah. Well, it's that whole syndrome that we have in this modern world of I'm going to be happy when, right? Yep. So even someone like River Phoenix, he was, he was successful. He was making money. He had this career that everybody would dream of, but it's still like, I'm going to be happy when. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is is that we're, we need to be happy now mm-hmm. because then if you die tomorrow, you've had a happy life yeah, yeah. as opposed to I'm going to be happy when I make a million dollars or when I when my book series goes like insanely viral or when I make when I am a filmmaker for a living. It's like, yeah, that's great. Except for what if that doesn't happen right away? Mm-hmm. And why is why do you want to have a miserable journey to your destination? And how can you find a better way to your destination? How do you, can you find your artistry that keeps you super authentic and super present and meeting people? And I really yeah. do. Like, I love that. Uh, the, was it um, Patrick Shanley or something? And I John read Patrick John Shanley. Patrick Shanley, who, who said this quote um, that an actress put up on Facebook, Bethany. And, and she just said, thank you for the 10,000 hands uh, that have carried me. Because he said, you know, you think you create success on your own. He said, look no. behind you because there were 10,000 invisible hands that carried you to where you are. And I think that's so true. Mm. And I think that some of the most beautiful things that have happened for me are the connections I've been able sure. to make with people. The, the, like, the incredible friendships that I've had and, and deep true authentic friendships a friendship that you know that I can call you up any single time and and now I have a core group of people like that who are artists and philosophers and shaman (laughs) 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 that I can do that with and that's that's incredibly valuable to me like beyond whatever happens to me you know we were just talking about our other friend who's like oh I'm I'm gonna save this kind of stuff for if I ever go homeless and I'm like you know (laughs) (laughs) I just think I think we're blessed because spend the Starbucks points yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and but it's good because I feel like you know anybody in this room like for you to be homeless or on the streets, which is a huge fear for a lot of people, lots of shit would have to go wrong, yeah. right? And that's a that's a privileged place to be. Yeah, yeah. no, that's yeah. a good point. It's uh, I speaking of posts, to some uh, another friend of ours shared a, a very personal post about something that like hit them. They had this realization and it really hit me. Yeah. I was like, went through this and it's again, it's like, it's, it's weird. I've just been getting into Alan Watts recently and it's just like, now I'm surrounded by Alan Watts stuff. But, um, you know, because he talks so much about like, just especially about the Western world, um, in terms of the way that we go about our lives and it's just like, okay, it's like, it's like we go about our lives. It's like, as if like, there's something to get to, mm-hmm. like, we've got to get to this, get to this, get to this. But, you know, I think we understand by this point, but that like, yeah, you achieve one thing. There's always another thing. Yeah. Right. You get there. you like, and, but we keep on going about life about like in a race, yeah, you know, yeah, we're yeah. racing to get somewhere, racing to get somewhere. And this quote that, um, this friend posted, she said, uh, she quoted Alan Watts saying like, the meaning of life is to be alive. (laughs) Sure. You know? And I was just like, yeah, (laughs) so obvious. It seems so obvious, right? (laughs) But you're just like, it's like, cause it's such a, it's an Eastern, like a very Eastern Zen philosophy. It's just like, it's to be alive. Yeah. Like be alive 
be present, be like, yeah, like engaged with like what is happening right now. And I think that that is kind of like where art is, is kind of discovered is in, is in that presence. Well, I, I, I remember I I told you guys a story at the end of the the podcast that I was on about, it's that like always the goalposts. And like when I was, I guess it was my second book and, uh, like my publisher is, is Putnam. My editor is like, was Tom Clancy's editor. Like I, I, it was really like, it's the big time. Like I, I couldn't complain. And, uh, my first book came out and it, it got a lot of like good reviews. It got, uh, like Robert Pattinson was tied to the movie. Uh, whatever. Name drop. No, like, <laughs> but I only, I only, I only dropped the name to like, to, to, you know, like the, the book by all measures oh, succeeded. Yeah. Oh, and that's yeah. how they always do it. <laughs> right, yeah, Humble brag. Yeah. Like to show no, no, people, no. like I, no, che- I was checking off yeah, shit on my were. Like, yeah, There was, you know, there was, yeah. Yeah. If, I, I would have been dumb to have dreamed that that could have happened. And, and my second book, you know, had a similar like buzz to it, had similar reviews. And I remember it came out and I had a like 10 day book tour where they like, you know, there's a town car at every stop take you to a swanky hotel. You have people coming to meet you in a, like everything's paid for nine cities, 10 days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's madness. And, and you're treated like a rock star and like, it, you know, that is what you dream of when you start writing a book or, you know, that's kind of what you dream of as far as success. And I remember getting home and, uh, like it was a Saturday. I got home on a Friday night and, and the Saturday morning I got up and I was like, well, shit, like, you know, I still live in my apartment. I still, you know, I still got to make rent. Uh, like I'm still the same guy. Yeah. Like I'm still to my friends. I'm still the same. Like I'm not. And I remember I, it made me really depressed. Like it made me profoundly like I, 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 uh, I mean, I went and talked to a psychologist for a long yeah. time about it because like, like I've been spent, I, you know, you spend your life thinking I want to, I want to accomplish these things. It deconstructs everything you think you wanted. Yeah. And, and then you are within that. And then, and then a few months later, this was the really like interesting thing for me was like, I had been doing a mentorship program with the school board where, um, like any, any field, like you guys could do it with acting or filmmaking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a grade eight student who wants to be an actor, wants to be a writer, once or whatever, we'll sign up for this mentorship thing. And then once a week, you'll meet with them and talk to them. And I had been mentoring this, this girl who was super smart, such a good writer and kind of like, you know, how if you're like in grade school or in high school and you're kind of, you know, exceptional or whatever, or, or, or you don't really fit in. I mean, nobody fits in in high school, but like, yeah. <laughs> she was kind of alone. She was a little prickly cause you know, she was smarter than all of her friends. And I remember like the, the, the end at the end of the program, there was this assembly at a school where like all of the mentors showed up and all of the kids showed up, all the parents showed up and the kids had to get up on stage and talk about like what the mentorship meant to them. And this girl got up on stage and like said the most like heartfelt and like beautiful thing about like what, you know, my time had meant to her. And like, like for me, that was when I was like, well, this is, this is what the, like, this is what makes the art worthwhile is, yeah. is, is, you know, sharing it with mm-hmm. someone and, and, and mentoring someone as opposed to the book tour or the to giving the gift back. Yeah. To the world. Yeah. Just, you know, 
this girl had no friends and, and for one hour a week we you know we bonded over our love of this art that we were doing and that for me was you know kind of a turning point totally you know um it's interesting i, I actually started a blog i haven't published it yet but i started writing an article because there i saw this article online and it was something they were saying about depression and they were calling it a mental illness and it really pissed me off because i was like depression is not a fucking mental illness it's 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 permeated through our entire culture and i was thinking about it i'm like and i don't know how to communicate it that's why i haven't released it yet but i was like depression all it is is repression it's it's a lack of expression it's all it really is and like you know i went and i I love that you shared kind of your your story uh, and you shared that on your last podcast too for people who want to get a little more info but um I went through a depression. I've been through it a few times in my life where I've hit these points of depression. And I know you guys have experienced something like that as well. And I think the problem is, is we live in a society that constantly tells us not to be ourselves. Don't express, repress everything, fit in, be normal, be well adjusted. And I was writing about, I'm like, fuck well adjusted. You know what? Mm. I'm not well adjusted. I never was in high school and I'm not going to be. And you know what? Like the reason why I was, I got myself depressed was because I stopped expressing myself. I stopped being me. I stopped like sharing what really was me. And like, I think where things started to change was I just started to, I, it wasn't just this, but it was a series of things that occurred, but especially with our podcast, you know, it's given me a bit of a vehicle to kind of start to express myself and like share what I really think and how I really feel. Mm -hmm. And what I found, um, especially in this last uh, few years, everybody's fucking depressed. Just some people have, have set their life up in a way where it's so safe that they don't experience it. But like when you start having dreams and you start having goals and you start reaching for those, you're immediately going to have to hit depression. And there's a reason why, because you've been buried under the shit of fitting in for so much of your life that you have to climb through that. And, and that's your period of depression. Depression is a good thing. It's like, Hey, instead of me playing my whole life small, I'm actually trying to, and it feels shitty at first. Cause you're like, I've been repressing everything that I feel and think and is me for so long. And like, I think depression, you realize, okay, well, uh, you know, you've been repressed, so you're depressed. And then once you start expressing yourself is the only way to actually transcend depression, you know, what, like, and like finding avenues, like you're talking about helping this girl, yeah. getting yourself out there, talking to your friends, being yourself, not worrying about what others think as you get through that, all of a sudden depression kind of fades away. Being right. Being right is a fucking product of, and excuse my English here, but it's a product of you fitting in and being well adjusted. Yeah. What the fuck is right? Like seriously. Yeah. Like right for who? I right. Think, you know what I mean? Yeah. I and that's why we're, that's why people I think go through this. Yeah. I yeah. also, I see depression very interestingly. Like there's a couple different ways that I see it. Like depression is, um, sort of a fear or a living in the past and anxiety is a fear or living in the future. Right. Mm-hmm. And that keeps us not present. Mm-hmm. But another thing that I, I think happens in our society, which is something that I've experienced is like, I agree with you. Most people have depression and anxiety in our, in our modern world, especially our generation. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like the plight of our generation, but it is because of that repression and why it feels so shitty is because when we are crawling our way out of our dark, we have to re-feel everything. Mm-hmm. And that is so painful. So 
Especially, like, and I don't want to say the male-female thing here, but men especially are told, don't feel. Yeah. Right? So when you're when you're taking in a couple decades of everything that you've repressed and not felt, and you're re-feeling it, the only way that our I think our psyches interpret it is, is a deep sadness and pain. And so it's just, it. I think it is, it's like this, this book, Care of the Soul, it's like there's gifts in depression, and the reason that we're refeeling it is because we're actually finally fucking purging it from our bodies. Mm-hmm. Like this repression that we've had for so long, we're like we're ready to deal with it, so it actually has to come out of our bodies. Literally, it's a very yeah. esoteric way of looking. No, at but things. it has to. But literally, and yeah. so it comes through you, and what you do is you feel this intense emotional pain. I think that's why a lot of transformation takes about a year to happen. And there's people that are stuck in the cycle of depression. That's a little bit of a different thing. Yeah, I I feel like I need to interject and say, like, I think that, like, I think that there are are There's chemical. There is a chemical imbalance. There is a depression where you just feel nothing, where you feel worthless. And I don't think, I think it's, for the sake of the viewers, I think that, you, you know, there's no there's no shame yeah. in looking for help and there's no shame in feeling like oh, no. you're doing no. something no, not at like all. you're you're just not feeling or you're just not you're not breaking out i think that you know there is depression that is that is a little bit different than yeah and i've gone through that too like i've gone through a complete numbing point a complete breaking point a like, complete uh, purging point and i was actually going to touch on something like this which was an interesting thing that's been going on in my mind and I've been wanting to write about it, but I don't exactly know how it's going to come out. So I haven't actually sat down to write about it. And it's about showing up through grief. Because 2016 was a year of massive grief for me. Hmm. Um, I lost people, and I'm still losing people right now as we speak. Like, literally on their deathbeds in the next couple days. Hmm. And I still have to show up for clients, and I still have to show up for my art, and I still have to do things through my day. And I've been going through it because emotions are fleeting, Right. And I'm someone who um, experiences emotions in a very different way than people. And I think I experience them very um, uh, sort of in a, in a detached way because I, I'm so curious about it. But even through like my years of depression, it was an interesting one because I'm such a happy-go-lucky person. Mm-hmm. That's something about me. Like I'm a happy-go-lucky person. You've known me for almost a decade. And that's what most people, and that's what I show to this world is I'm so happy and I'm joyous and I'm, all, and I'm weird. And I am. And I told the end that is a part of me. So when I was hit with depression, it was, it was an int- there was a couple things. And I'll tell the story. I told the story the other day. Um... I have a father who's suffered from addiction my whole life. And for the first time in 2014, he went on the street. And I went and saw him with my little brother. And I came home from that, uh, kept my shit together all day, and then literally broke apart. Like, it felt like I was being completely ripped open from the heart. Like, just sobbing uncontrollably for, for days, really. Um, and, and, like, my sister came over. We have different dads. And it was just like, you know... To the point where she got freaked out, right? She's yeah. younger than I am. She's like, what the fuck's happening? And I'm just like, you know, I don't like to show people that. I almost never cry in front of people. <laughs> now I do. I cry in front of people. <laughs> I'll cry in front of you. Fuck it. <laughs> but like, you know, it, it actually sent That's me. That's a book title. I'll cry in front of you. I'll cry in front of you. Fuck, fuck it. it. Fuck <laughs> it. It's the fourth of my day. Yeah. I'll cry in front of you. Fuck it. That's a great, that's a great book title. <laughs> or maybe that'll be a chapter. That's that'll good. be a chapter. Yeah, I like it, yeah. But yeah, that, that sent me into my two years of depression. And 
And for me, actually looking at depression from like a detached point now where I've, I only probably came out of it beginning of 2016. And then I got through shown, yeah, you're conscious now. Here, let me throw you through the ring again. Fucking brutal. Um, and it was, it was this interesting thing where I realized, wow, I've probably been depressed most of my life. Yeah, yeah. But it just came out in hyperness. Well, and anxiety. I've had anxiety most of my life, and it came out in, in hyperness. Um, yeah. and, and don't get me wrong, I, I know people who have chemical imbalance where it's just like... They cannot. They have to be on medication, um, and and they can't get out of it. But I do think I, I think it is different for everybody. But I think for the most part, what we're saying is like we need to get really conscious about this issue. Well, the yeah. other thing too is it's <laughs> Bell Let's Talk Day in Canada. Today, oh, there you the go, suicide mm. prevention. There so are, Bell, let's there, talk. there is there is a chemical imbalance that people have. I, a, a guy I know shared a story with me this last summer, and he had done a lot of drugs through festivals and stuff a year previously. Mm-hmm. And he had just done them back to back like a Molly or X or whatever th- mm-hmm. that is. Right. And it basically takes all the serotonin in your brain, you know, and it puts it into your body over and over, but eventually yeah. it depletes it. Yeah. And so you get to a point where you can't really regenerate it. And he basically said like for six months I was depressed mm-hmm. after I, you know, I had this great summer of doing this stuff, but then he was like, I'll never do it again because I hit, because I realized the effects of what it was doing to my body. And, um, if people do it consistently, they can get yeah. to the point where their brain just won't produce serotonin anymore. And they will actually literally just be depressed. It's like they're, it is a chemical oh, yeah. problem. And then some people, I suppose maybe they're born with, um, you know, maybe they, and our brains work in all sorts of weird, interesting ways, but they're probably born with the same chemical imbalance. It's just not produced yeah. by something. Well, Maybe. Okay, so I take Prozac every morning. Mm-hmm. Okay, because two years ago, uh, I like depression got to the point where like, you know, I did something yeah. scary and and it fucked my girlfriend up. Yeah, and so whatever. And after I started taking the medication, I I felt like the person who I was always supposed to be. Like I felt like I felt like me, but without this like, you know, thing on my chest. And I I'd always thought, well, I'd rather be unhappy and a writer than be happy and you know a job that's not creative mm-hmm. but like and I thought that being unhappy was a part of and that if no, I if I got different. treatment for depression that it would it would somehow affect my creative state and it didn't wow mm. and Such an uh, interesting thing, hey? like I feel like the person I'm supposed to be mm-hmm. I you know I Maybe there's shame in it. I don't feel shame in it. It's Bell Let's Talk Day. It's an anti-suicide no, day. No, so like, I, no way. No, I think no. like you have to talk about this stuff, and I think that that there isn't any shame. And I, and I think also you don't have to suffer for your art. You don't have to feel like yeah. you need to be in the trenches of depression. But even beyond that, you don't have to suffer as a human being. Yeah, We've yeah. taught each other to suffer. And you make a very good point. You're someone who sounds like like medication has been so good for you. Mm-hmm. But so many times I hear people who are on medication and they feel numb or dead. And right, I'm like, yeah. right, because they don't actually necessarily have a chemical imbalance. Yeah, um, They have... A, like a, a depression that they need to fit, like emotionally work through or something Definitely. and or or they haven't found the right medication or they haven't found the right reason right well you can rely it like you can lean on medication and it, it, it won't yeah. necessarily solve your like exactly you know, it's but a, if it's something that's like makes you feel like you and makes you feel like you can have a joyous life then that is a blessing. Yeah. You know, and I really do think that is because, yeah, like it's, I'm, I'm also in healthcare and I have to say that there was a time where it's like, you know what, 
80% or more of my clients are on antidepressants. Really? And Yeah. And, and so, like, it's actually the most prescribed thing. BC is actually one of the most prescribed antidepressants in, like, in Canada, I think, We're is all BC. We're fucking depressed here. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, like, Vancouver especially, because yeah. we have this kind of weather. We have yeah. we live in a rainforest. We don't get a lot of sun. We have we you know, live in a feast or famine environment. And, yeah. and we live in one of the most stressful, uh, expensive cities in the world, so yeah. there's outside things, too. Another thing, there's so many things that we I don't think we look at, though, is external environment. Like, you know, we don't treat ourselves properly. We don't treat our bodies well. No. Like, we really don't. Most people in Vancouver, uh, most people in the Western world, including myself, have massively dysfunctional eating. Where we get up, we have a coffee, maybe a banana, maybe a piece of toast, and then we, we like, drink maybe another coffee, and then at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we're so starving, and then we make ourselves something that's probably carbish, and then we get home at night, and then we eat everything in our house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does it sound familiar? It's like, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Until, like, and especially if you guys are writing until 3 o'clock in the morning, mm. you're probably just, like, you know, and then I we go to, to bed. Eat. Sometimes I'll have literally one meal in a day, you know? And exactly. It's, um, the other thing too, is I think about this sometimes too, like the, the financial pressure of living in this city, like, like I, mm-hmm. like some of my friends who are in the Midwest, I'm like, you pay how much for oh your fucking my God. rent? Like I pay three times the amount, like to, to, for them, when they hear what I pay, they go, I could live in a full fucking house for what you pay. Yeah. You know my I mean? friends in my hometown. Yeah their mortgage is like $400. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from like Southern Ontario. Prince George. And my aunt's note, like in her old house, legit, her mortgage is $400. Her house cost her $96,000. Yeah, it's madness. A house with a yard. (laughs) And I'm like, I can't even get a corner for that. It's literally (laughs) 10 times that amount here. I mean, that same house would be literally a million dollars here. So we're literally paying 10 times. And the thing is, is part of the problem too is, I mean, I don't want to blame Vancouver, but we no. do lose perspective here. Yeah. We, like, and, and this, it's a local challenge. If you also live in New York or you live in LA or you live in London, you, you lose perspective, San Fran, mm-hmm. any big city, any really. of these big cities, you start to lose a little bit perspective mm-hmm. because we do get caught up a little bit in the rat race. I mean, to kind of like, to be like, I'm going to go out there and be in the, especially in the film industry. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be an, an, a novelist so much, but in the film industry, it's a real rat race in a lot of ways. There's everybody comes here. They want to be an actor. They want to be a writer. They want to be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and we also live in a society that isn't like Vancouver is not like artists. It's like, yeah, you can film anywhere you want, but it's not necessarily like artist friendly. There's some communities that have come up where they built like little hubs for artists to live. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, for most people, we all kind of struggle and we, and we work through it. And I think the thing is you lose perspective. And like with this whole depression thing, I just want to say like, I do think that there's a chemical thing. And I think like, you know, it's just about inner honesty. It's about figuring out where you're mm-hmm. at. And I think sometimes, you know, I've heard people who have maybe taken something for a little while and then they kind of come off it and mm-hmm. they kind of, it helped them to build maybe a little bit of a grounding for themselves. Maybe mm-hmm. you don't, it, it, is, it doesn't really matter. But the, the, the point is, is that depression is not a bad thing. Like, I don't yeah. know about you guys, but when I grew up, if you were depressed, the whole, you couldn't even admit you were depressed. No, no. Because if you said that, <laughs> that was a bad thing. You were a problem. And I fucking hate that they call it a mental illness because nobody's going to admit that they have a mental illness. But if it's just depression, if it's just like, this is just part of culture. It's a part of life. It's a part of growing up and we don't mm-hmm. make it into this yeah. big fucking thing. It's like, yeah, I feel a little oppressed right now. 
you know, yeah. that's okay. But if I have to say, Hey guys, I think I have a mental illness. That's a fucking hard thing to say to people. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's like you, you remove some of like this, uh, Thomas, Thomas More's Care of the Soul, which is like one of my favorite books. I mean, and he's, and he's a psychotherapist and, and he talks about some of his approach on it. And he's like, you know, we've lost a lot of our creativity in terms of talking about some of these things, you know, it's like, yeah. he, he says like whatever, like as far as more Western thing, like whatever happened to the concept of like feeling blue, like a color to sort of characterize sure. where we are, or it's just like, or the, um, like the, uh, the ancient sort of like the, the, the Greeks and the, and the Roman stuff, they, when depression was called a visit from Neptune mm. and oh. Neptune was like a God of all sorts of different things. He was also, he was, yes, he was a God of sort of like a death. Like he, like there was, yes, there was a sort of a destruction, but there was also rebirth that was, that was connotated with, yeah. sure. with the God of Neptune. So there was, there was a lot more sort of like, um, a mystery and a, a more creativity that was associated with these human things that we go through. Yeah. Right. You know, that's like that it's It's not, it's not wrong. Right. I think that's another thing for, I know another thing for me this last year as well was like making these things wrong, like making yourself wrong for feeling a certain way. Yeah. And, and that can, you know, when you make yes. yourself wrong, you know, on this, on as we're talking about depression, especially it's great that it's like, that it's also this, this day for talking and this awareness as well. But, um, making it, making it wrong for feeling depressed, making it, making it wrong that you, you know, because like we, I think in the Western world, it's like, no, everything should be fine. And if if everything isn't fine, then you're ungrateful or so you become, you become ashamed for yeah. feeling bad. Yeah. Right. And it's like, and now you're just mounting more problems Definitely. onto you're just heaping the shit on top of yourself and it's completely unnecessary. This gets me to a thought that I've been also thinking <laughs> recently is like this whole, especially with something like the election that happened in the U S I'm someone who really thinks of things in big picture. Right. And, and for me, I'm like, okay, well we need to chill out and see how this unfolds mm-hmm. one. And I'm, a female, <laughs> you know, like, let me just say, let me just I say, am a female. <laughs> this is a female body. But I, I look at, but how I look at everything that's happening in our world is how could we not have ended up here? Because if you look back in, 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 in historic terms, right? Look at how we've built our world, right? Look at what we used to do to our men. There's a reason why men, why it's like, you need to be manly. Don't feel, don't be human. Yeah. Don't feel it's because don't feel because then you can't kill people mm-hmm. and we need you to go out. We need you to kill everybody. We need you to fight those wars. We need you to do things. And women, Hey, you need to put yourselves last. Why? Because your men are going out to fucking kill people and you need to put everybody else first and you need to care and put and put. And so now women feel depleted this way and men feel depleted mm-hmm. this way. What it's created is a massive imbalance, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to something like gender, because I'm someone who believes we're the exact same. We are the exact same. The only reason that you think one way and I think another way 
and there's these stereotypical masculine feminine qualities is because we did these things in history and in time and through time. And so now we're getting to a modern world where, thank God, in different places in the world, yeah, you, men still have to fight, you know? But you don't have to. You're not getting drafted into an well, army. We're realizing we can change the narrative that we've been telling yeah, ourselves and for we can, a long we're, time. We're, what we're doing is we're bringing everything back into balance. But to understand that it's out of balance, you have to create such a fucking shit show chaos for human (laughs) beings because we're so adaptable. Mm -hmm. You know? Don't feel, go fight war. Great. Now, somehow, men can go off, fight war, kill a bunch of people and come home and still love their kids and their wives. Some people go batshit crazy and kill their kids and their wives or they beat their kids and their wives. And, And, like, you look at the Native community who went through all the residential schools we're just at the generation. We are actually the first time in history at the generation after massive trauma. And yeah. don't get me wrong, we have still had trauma in our in our generation. But you look at somebody like, you know, you look at what they went through in, uh, the, you know, the 1930s and things like that, going through the, the massive depression era where we're in a depression right now, but we still got to live in homes and eat. Yeah. And the thing is that depression was like, you're, you have holes in your walls and you're in the dead of winter and you might eat. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was these crazy imbalances, and we're finally just coming back into balance. It just feels so freaking icky right now. And so how can we not have things like depression and anxiety? How can we not have Trump in office? How can we not have these things happen when we come from this massive imbalance? He, Because Trump, to me, is like someone who really presents as the ultimate unbalanced male. You know, this is the person who, who he, he shows up. He doesn't give a shit about what you think. He doesn't give a shit about... He has almost no compassion for other people, Mm -hmm. but it's because he has no compassion for himself. He is the epitome of don't feel you're a man. You want to be a man? Don't you fucking feel you do what you need to do. Right. It's a... You know, it's a... It's so interesting. Like, I look at Trump and I think, like, it's a real Band-Aid solution to the whole situation because, like, right now we're feeling so much. And Trump comes (laughs) along and he says, yeah, don't, don't feel. Let's just fucking build a wall. Let's just build a wall, guys. You know, fuck it. Our problems are here and here and here and here and we're going to fix it. It's like Evan was saying with the Band-Aids. Yeah, it feels really good to be like, uh, you know, oh, all my problems are outside of me. All my problems can be stopped by this. And what's going to happen is we're going to, you know, in the next four years or eight years or maybe two, we're going to start to realize this fucking Band-Aid ain't holding up. And, and, and you know what? We're going to have another shift. And that's what's going to happen if we don't destroy ourselves in the meantime. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like, I mean, we treat our lives a little bit like this. Like Trump is, uh, Trump is, is, is just a byproduct of a social dynamic. We already do like one of my, like my major in, uh, in university was social psychology and in social psychology, you start to learn obviously two things. You start to learn how people are socialized from their psychology and how people are, because you have to, if you study social psych, you have to obviously learn the opposite, which is what, how are we predispo- predisposed to, like, what are we come into the picture with? Well, like, you know, you're saying men and women are the same, almost, almost, except for about really three and maybe another, like, psychol, like someone who's has way more experience would say a few other things, but really there's three big things. One is our brains work a little bit differently. Men, through literally generations from being cavemen, we compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. Women didn't have to, like, cut off certain parts of their brain to kill. So they have a holistic view, right? Which is actually more the way the world's going right now. So men are trying to, we're basically working from a, uh, an old, it's like, we're like, uh, point one and you guys are point two, 
but women have no power, so we kind of keep going, no, point one. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like if you like upgrade your computer and you're like, I don't like the new software, so I'm going to keep using the old one, even yeah. though I know the new one's better. <laughs> it's like, fuck the, new, fuck the new one. You know, it's just, so our brains are, like, men are actually trying to keep up with the way women's compartmentalize, or, or don't compartmentalize. But at the same time, we have certain advantages. The other thing is we have testosterone and we have 30% more muscle on average. Mm-hmm. Then that makes a, a big change because we have, a, we have one thing, we have control over the physical world, which we've set up a physical world, so we have that. And the other thing too is testosterone, I heard a comedian describe it as like, testosterone's like this. Women have a tough time understanding, but testosterone's like this. It's like, you should follow that woman. It's like, and then your conscious mind goes, but for how long? And the testosterone goes, until further notice. <laughs> so it's like, it's like kind of like we have uh, this weird uh, hormone that's running our, ourselves. So we're a little bit out of control of it because we're not like, we're not aware of it. Like most people don't know. So it, it, it's funny because we live in a male driven world where we're, we're functioning from that, like an old model. It's like having a new computer system, but you're using an old system, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, is technology and social improvement is changing. And one thing I learned through social psych is like, like we we're socialized in certain ways and we want to transcend that shit. But at the same time, we're very, very scared to step outside of these social things because if we do, we don't know what it'll look like. Cause the best thing is like what you said, like we, the, because I totally on that point, like we, but we work the best together. Yeah. You know, the whole world works the best together. We work as a collaboration. Our art is collaborative, yeah. but our whole world is collaborative, and that's how we create the best possible future. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, we're just so stuck in these like social ways of like this is how it is, this is how it's supposed to do, and it's like, but we've we've just proven to ourselves this whole time. It's not working. (laughs) It's really not working. And like, I really do like there's Evan was saying like one of the biggest things for our generation is we really want to make an impact. We really want to create change. We really want to do some beautiful things in this world. And I think we will. And I think that this whole, like, I think that whole last year was so challenging for most people. Like the energy of it was just challenging. You're just like, you just walked and you're like, I feel like I'm in sludge and like at any moment I'm either going to snap, break down, or I don't know, (laughs) this mystery space that we're going to be in. Like I have no idea what's going to happen, but it set us up. I think last year was such a humongous shift of like, all right, we're going to test you. I'm going to test you humanity. See if you actually are ready to change. And then I think like even this year, just with something like the equality March, people keep calling it the woman's March, but I call it the equality March because to me it was showing up for everything. Um, we have a cat walking around. In cat this awesome photobomb for our live photobomb. audience. Oh, did he photobomb it? Ah! He photobombed that one. Perfect. There he there is. He is. <laughs> Perfect. He's he's a silent partner. He's yeah. a silent partner. Every show. Absolutely. Yeah. Little comedic and relief. Ever present. And and even though it seems really scary right now, I'm actually really excited to see what we create together. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think I'm interested to hear, oh, and I don't, and if you don't have to share if you don't want to, but I'm interested to hear, cause I think it's, 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 it's helped me a lot in my process too. But you, I just love how you're so open about your process. Cause you, to me, like I look at you as a novelist and I go like novel, novel writing isn't my number one priority, but I really truly want to be a novelist. Yeah. And so I look at you as someone who's a bit of a, a mentor and someone who's 
whether you take that role on or not, just someone who I look up to as a guy, well, thanks, I mean, you're man. my age and you're like, and we've, you've done it. And I go, well, you know, it makes me believe it's possible. Mm. It and, is possible. And, and, and <laughs> yeah. And, but also yeah. to hear your story too, about how like you've experienced too, because I think like in my younger years of, uh, pursuing stuff, I mean, I, I had these ideas of how things are supposed to be. And it's just, I think it's really, I think it's great, especially for our listening audience to hear a little bit about what that journey has been for you, because it's not like there's this way that we all think it will look. Mm -hmm. And then there's the way that you, that someone hearing someone actually say like how it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's not, your life isn't, it's not life changing. I -hmm. think, I think what it comes down to is work and, and being willing to work don't look at us. <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting the editing time. Oh, we're looking at the time. All right. How long have we been running for? I have no idea because the time's not actually showing up on you. But we've been running for. No, it's. What's that? We've been running for two hours and 16 minutes. Um, so I probably have to head out. Yeah, it's probably time that we call it. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like. Wow, <laughs> we really talked. Just. Well, it was, you know, the 100th episode. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Well, let's wrap it up. So, so before you sit down. Okay. okay yeah, yeah. Just chill. Um, so. Sorry. So I, I got you on. We'll, we'll have to, to yeah. continue next, with next, Owen yeah. on his third. Interview. That's right. <laughs> no, 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 but continue. I don't. I don't no, want no. Him. It's. Um, well, let's. I mean, maybe it'll all wrap up anyway. But yeah. we've, we've talked about a lot of stuff. And I'm really glad we got into this kind of depression thing again. Because yeah. we've talked about it a few times in the podcast. And. I think what's actually been really good is that Evan and I haven't really shied away from some of the more uncomfortable topics. And I love that we went to it this time. And I think, um, what it ultimately does is it kind of creates, uh, it, it, it allows for our listening audience to see that this stuff you might be feeling is not, it's not as crazy or as weird as you might think. It's actually pretty common. And I think when, when courageous people come forward and I really do think we're all courageous for us all to share a story and and be bold and do that in front of a live audience and share that with the public. That's where the world needs to go. You know, where we need to be able to be like, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on. When we share perspectives, we learn more about ourselves Yeah. because that's, that's why I, that's why I love what I do is because I get to hear people's perspective and it makes me passionate because I think it's so exciting and I think it's so interesting. And I think that every single human being is such a fascinating yeah, well, yeah. Not every. Let me. I don't know. I met <laughs> There's every. some dull motherfuckers. There's some dull motherfuckers. But it is, and and speaking about this kind of stuff creates permission for it. Yeah. yeah. We've got we've got this. We've got lots of trauma in our world. I I don't know anybody who hasn't been traumatized in some sort of way. You know, we just do, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, we're a bunch of awesome, fucked up, insane people here <laughs> who need to come together and and find joy and figure out how to create a, a better world together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say like, uh, it, um, with, for the hundredth episode, I would say, you know, uh, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, like, um, just be honest with yourself. Don't live your dream for anybody but you, yeah. you know, really like look at what you want and it's all, it's all good, you know? And, um, don't call your depression or your down feelings, mental illness. I think that's a, that's a, uh, don't buy into that. It's bullshit. Call it blue call it a visit from Neptune, but don't fucking call it mental illness, you know? Cause I mean, at least for me, mental illness is like, you're not mentally ill, you know, you, you're, you're just a human being and you feel, and you might feel down and you know what? That's okay. And it doesn't make you like any less in society. It doesn't make mm. you whatever. Yeah. 
And I look at that and I go, you know, some of the best artists in time, I think have gone through depressions and have, have created their greatest art in a depression. And, and at the same time, if you haven't felt depression, you don't need to go run towards it either. If you're just a happy go lucky person, fucking a, whatever, it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think for this hundredth episode, I mean, if, if I was going to wrap it up and just say anything, like, I think we've talked about a lot of stuff that have been trust yourself, be authentic to you. Don't live your life for anybody else. And however you're feeling, no matter how high or how low is all good. And it means nothing. It it means nothing. It doesn't mean you're a better person or a worse person or whatever. It's just life. And we need to, we need to have spectrum. We need to have highs and lows. And, um, and, and I think if we just kind of like, and keep listening (laughs) (laughs) to the next boom. Yeah. Okay. That's what I got. So Kat and uh, Evan, it's up to you, the couple. What's what? that? No, no, no. Kat's already spoke. Okay. Yeah, I already spoke. But I'm it's spoke. on Evan. Finish it yeah. off, Evan. Did you what? speak? I don't, you know, I didn't, uh, <laughs> you don't need to speak. Okay. So maybe we skipped it. Owen, what do you got? No, I, I mean, I, I, I would build on what you said and say, don't, you know, on the in the spirit of sharing, don't be afraid to talk to people about how you feel. No, mm-hmm. you know, everyone is going through the same shit. And there's no shame in bringing it up. And when it comes to art, check your ego at the door and write drunk, edit sober. Yeah. <laughs> Hemingway. That was Hemingway. <laughs> that wasn't me. Um, yeah, no, this has been a fantastic hundredth, hundredth <laughs> podcast in this, and this talk. I mean, yeah, I mean, for, I mean, I really liked what we started off with in terms of like create like, yeah, like check your ego at the door and create, yeah. like, don't like, and let like, it out, like show people. Yeah. Like stop hanging all, like hanging everything up on like that project, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. in terms of like, it's gotta be, it, it's gotta be everything. It's like, you know, create, create, keep creating. Like you're never going to run out of ideas, yeah. Yeah. you know, you like just keep rocking. And I think more importantly is this conversation that we got into at the end, yeah. um, which is just, yeah, to, to f- put a little bit more into this is, is like, yeah, like talk about what's going on. Don't make yourself wrong for when you feel the breadth of human experience. And sometimes that takes us down into some low places. Know that there is some incredible forging of who you are, Mm -hmm. who you really are going on within that. And that, yeah, like connect, talk to other people about what's going on. Connection really is at the core of what creating art is all about. We're reaching out. Art is a way of reaching out. And so do that with your work, do that in your personal life, connect with people. It is kind of the way that we move forward. So yeah, that's what I'll, I'll leave it with. All right, guys. Well, that's been a hundred. So fist bump, Evan, and everybody else who wants to join us. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for having us. It's awesome to have you guys back on and we'll do a third someday 200 down the road yeah yeah well at the rate we're going it's probably going to happen we'll so. see you next week for episode yeah, yeah. 200 <laughs> <laughs> keep tuning in folks 
That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.